Blog Talk Radio. As far as the, uh, well, their whole establishment. I mean, it's crumbling, folks. Matt Wower, can you believe it? <laughs> you know, that's been the talk of the town all day. And then you find out Garrison Keeler, okay? Garrison Keeler, Prairie Home Corrupt, or what is it? Prairie Home Pervert, okay? Um, you know, it, it's not spitting out of control. Folks, just like I said last week, you know, it's, it's like this thing, this, this horseman with the scales, man, he is riding fast. These people are being exposed for who they are. And I tell you, it's almost, I mean, it's, it's supernatural. It's crazy. And they're dropping like flies. This is, um, you know, this is, uh, what was the guy's name, Brian, who was the liar at NBC? Well, you have the liar, now you've got the pervert, Lauer, and he's out. So, uh, good gosh. And there's, there's so much more. We're going to list. We're going to go over it. Because, you know, at this point, it's, it's almost becoming like, um, you know, ho-hum, but it's not. I mean, it's, it really, it's incredible. And it's almost as if when you stop and think about it, it is as if Trump is winning this war. I mean, think about it. It's almost as if the left power structure, you know, you, you've got, what was the, the, uh, the inspector general, okay, he came out. He was being threatened. His family, we've got that story. He was being threatened by the Clintons when he uh, uncovered all of this stuff going on as far as uh, the emails, etc. And uh, we've got the clips from that. Uh, we've got a lot of clips. So um, I hope you can hear me. I'm a little bit back here. Uh, and then we've got uh, just so much more. So, uh, my gosh, um, what else do we have? Uh, been putting this thing together for a while, but I just had a, a client come in right in the middle of uh, arranging the studio, and I was telling him about Garrison Keeler, and uh, you know now it's Chris Steele, the mandolin master. Remember Chris Steele? Um, name of his band. He was a folk band. The guy can just wear out the mandolin. Incredible musician. Well, he took over from uh, Keeler when he resigned or retired, and. 
now I'm just wondering if uh, maybe, you know, maybe this is something to do with it. Anyway, let's, uh, we've got to the degenerate corrupt U.S. media. Trump wins again. And this was with the, uh, you know, the, uh, the little Venezuela on the Potomac, the CFPB, or is it the CFBP? I don't know. I'll, I'll find out. <laughs> I get them mixed up. Uh, Lauer to Bosch. Man, the stories I've got for you, just the things that are just like flooding out. The NK missile crisis just took a, uh, just, just got notched up another level. And, uh, and and then the Clinton's Deadpool and almost included a U.S. Inspector General. I mean, this is crazy. But you know the degenerate, the, the the degeneration of the media, along with the corruption that we already knew about. And these guys thought they were holier than thou, didn't they? I tell you. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and kick it off uh, with the montage. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. There's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of, of the world. You've got a business. That, you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. Finland, of all countries, is kicking off the new year by launching a new social experiment. Some 2,000 unemployed citizens chosen at random will get a guaranteed monthly income whether they work or not. A lot of economists actually think this could be a good idea, saying it will cut down on government red tape and welfare fraud while helping to combat poverty. Secretary Clinton, in a speech you gave to a Brazilian bank for which you were paid $225,000, we've learned from the WikiLeaks that you said this, and I want to quote, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. And the hope that each of us has to build a new world order. The pieces are in flux. Soon they will settle again. Before they do, let us reorder this world around us. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. Leaders come together and establish a framework for global governance. These measures are enacted and we continue to move forward with the G20 process. We will have the kind of global governance that is necessary to ensure the stability and transparency of markets. I think a new world order is emerging, and with it the foundations of a new and progressive era of international cooperation. The affirmative task we have now is to actually um, create uh, uh, a new world order. Yeah, and that new world order, these globinists are taking it, oh boy, are they getting killed. And, you know, one of the things that has been out this week has been about Soros, and how, of course, he backs net neutrality. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just say, whatever position Soros takes is the one that you should oppose, okay? So if Soros is for net neutrality, which is really it's kind of like the Patriot Act, it was the Unpatriot Act, and this is the actually the reverse of net neutrality. It would be uh, net favorability, okay? 
And I heard Rush the other day as I was eating lunch, and he had an excellent way to explain it in, in very simplified terms, which is one of the things that he does so well among many. But in this particular instance, he said, just think of net neutrality, which is the way that they deliver the Internet to you. You know, I don't ever say anything. I always credit whoever. I don't cheat, okay? I just have to say that. Would you, you shouldn't know. I should say that because it's an excellent point that he said. So anyway, net neutrality is the delivery. The whole argument is about the delivery, the speed by which the Internet gets to you and what is on there, what can be controlled, etc. Now, as you know, unless you're talking about the U.S. mail, packages are, uh, or the package delivery service is not really regulated, and it's dominated by two companies at odds with one another for the most part. One of them is uh, union-controlled, UPS, and the other is a just an independent company with no union, and that is FedEx, and they both have their you know, good points and bad points, maybe. But they, they, whereas the Internet is a tool to deliver information to you, well, it's the same as UPS and FedEx and the U.S. Postal Service, such as it is, delivering, you know, parcels and letters and things to you. It's no different, in essence, okay? And uh, the way Rush put it is, think of net neutrality. Can you imagine delivery neutrality? where the government takes control of delivering, uh, completely taking control of, of how fast your package gets to use. So in essence, in, in that particular vein, like you have Amazon Prime and, you know, you can be in the club where you get like really fast delivery for free. Well, that wouldn't happen if it was, uh, what would it, delivery neutrality, Okay or shipping neutrality, that that wouldn't be happening. That would be against the law. Or maybe you want to pay a little bit extra and get it a day early or get it the next day. Uh, no, with delivery neutrality, that's no longer even an option, okay? Or maybe you want to get it in three days instead of three to five days or two days, right? Next day air, whatever they call it. Um, well, that once again, sorry, you, you, because the government says, nope, Everything has to be delivered at the same pace. And if you want to pay more for it, well, that's against the law. You see? So can you imagine, can you imagine uh, how you really want something and you need it the next day and you can't get it anywhere around where you are? Um, and it could be something integral to your business or integral to some um, sort of uh, service that you're performing that requires something rare or something that's, you know, not easily gotten in 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 your particular locale, or maybe it's a you know something that your um, maybe a worker is working on, maybe for your company, may a, a special extremely expensive device that will only work in your given circumstance because your problem is so rare. So you need this implement, okay, to arrive very quickly. Well, sorry, it's just not going to happen anymore. You'll have to wait seven days. You see, that's that's the thing right there. And the younglings, uh, you know, they have been uh, sort of um, hoodwinked into thinking that once the U.S. government gets involved, everything will be fair and social justice will prevail for all, and we will be happy ever after like little robots running around. So, no. Uh, it, no anytime you get – look, the, 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 the same replies to health care. You know, the dirty little secret, which is not necessarily a secret, it's just something that people don't stop and think about. Back before Obamacare became the 
law of the land, the mandate, um, guess who was really screwing up uh, private and all, 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 all across the spectrum, insurance and hospital services to the point where the premiums were uh, going up, not nearly as bad as they are now, okay, but, but they were going up. Now, guess who really got us to that point? And if you think it's the health insurance companies, you are terribly misled. It is actually the U.S. government, because at the time that they passed Obamacare, they were already paying 52% of the claims, ladies and gentlemen. They were already in, in, in control of a large subsection of health delivery in the U.S., which is why our health care was going awry so quickly. Back in the early 60s, when before the uh, what was it the the New Deal from uh, from uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson back I think it was around 1965. Back in that day, if you go look at the cost for getting various medical procedures, it was simply not that bad. Okay, you didn't have to have insurance; you could afford it then. But once they got the government involved in Medicare and Medicaid. And then the government started underpaying these services, like, for in some instances, a dime on the dollar. Well, guess what happened? The health, in, the health providers and the service providers had to find a way to get the funding that they require from some other place. And guess where they went? Oh, yeah, went to the private insurance industry. Those people who are not covered or who are not or who just don't have to deal with the US government's cesspool arrangements okay um so even uh, now when we talk about a dime on the dollar we were probably referring to medicaid which is for the you know the 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 less than uh, fully um earning americans and then you have people that have, you know, difficulty in, in many cases making ends meet, uh, always always just a little bit behind, which many young families are this way, and they, they work their way out of it with the way we all do, okay? And that's the way it goes. You know, it seems tough. But the thing, you, people make the mistake of thinking that their situation is static, when if they're doing the way that they're supposed to be doing, they're always uh, plotting and, and figuring out a way to get ahead, a way to move up, and a way to, um, uh, rather than uh, just survive, a way to overcome, a way to be superlative. Okay, I'm looking for another word. Can't find it with a show brain. So anyway, the other side of the government's involvement was in Medicare, and that's what these our seniors, our senior citizens, have paid for for all of these many years. And... Uh, in that particular case, it's more like maybe a quarter to 30 cent on a dollar that they're paying rather than just a dime or a nickel. So you see all of these uh, underpayments for services provided because the government is the 800-pound gorilla and pay you whatever the hell they want. Or, yeah, yeah, just pay you whatever the hell they want to pay you. Well, that is what has pushed medical inflation to the point that it has gone to. They have to overcharge $254 for an aspirin because they had to give it away uh, when the government was involved, involved practically with all the other services surrounding, you know, what might conspire around a freaking aspirin, all right? But it's true. So they have to charge uh, a considerable amount 
to take up for the government that the slack has produced in the first place. Otherwise, they would go completely out of business. And so when Obamacare and the Democrats hatched their Obamacare mandate scheme in order to control all health insurance, okay, when they did that, well, um, that's when uh, even more mayhem uh, uh, began to take place within the health insurance industry, which is why we were, we are where we are right now with it. So it was just, uh, it was, it was lying. And, and remember, folks, and I posted this up on my Facebook page, but Saul David Alinsky, who was both Obama and Hillary Clinton's uh, hero, okay, leftist hero, you know, dedicated his book Rules for Radicals to Satan. You have to look to understand and to maintain in your mind however way it's necessary, because it spreads across the spectrum of everything that is happening right now. You've got health care. That was the number one thing that they were going for. This is why they were shooting so hard for it. I do anything, and they were losing, they lost a ton of seats because of it. Control health care, and you control the people. Well, there you go. So this, this explains why the massive impetus to make that happen, and you see then once they get the health care under control, then they move to the next phase, which is poverty. Increase the poverty level as high as possible. For, and, and this would explain the vast influx of illegal aliens that they so desperately need to see. Okay, Because the more illegal aliens and, and just you know immigrants that come in flood into the U.S., this has a, a supply and demand effect. The more labor supply you have the less demand that, that there is, and so therefore you get paid less uh, within any given uh, economic uh, region or section or, in, in our case, a nation state. Okay, So you increase the poverty level as high as possible. Poor people are easier to control given their SNAP cards. Get everything coming from the government, and guess what? Uh, they will vote for the people who want to give them more things. Okay? Uh, and make government bigger and bigger and bigger. This is all. This is like the textbook moving into a Marxism uh, type of arrangement. Marxism being the ideology that moves capitalism into communism. That's how it works. And you never, you know, you you rarely, if ever, the Marxism. Is, when I talk about the ideology, it specifically is designed to move from capitalism. To communism, it is the underlying template in order to make that happen. That's why we always call Obama a Marxist president. That's why we call the Pope a Marxist. Uh, you know, and Marxism is worldwide, folks. And, and if you stop and look at the precepts of globalism and the precepts of uh, Marxism or communism, as introduced into the U.S. Congress in 1963 by H.A. Herlong, okay, there you can go look it up. It's there. Uh, the these uh, various tenets of each one of these uh, sort of ideological agendas between communism and globalism almost interlace perfectly. They match up almost perfectly, ladies and gentlemen. And I've written that story several times, and it, it still surprises so many people when they see how these things work together. You go back and look at William Cooper. He, he basically stated the whole plan was to move the planet into a form of totalitarian socialism. Go look at China. There you are. China is a crucible, or the test tube, which is what a crucible is. It's, the, it's the, sort of the testing phase of um, of what the globalists are aspiring to. Okay, which is one of the and see the whole thing. If you go back and look at the who was it? The secretary of UNESCO, I believe it was the secretary of the uh, 
or one of these UN Economic Councils. I forget the uh, what is the name of it. Anyway, it's one of those UN. There's quite a few. Uh, but the secretary indicated this, the climate change thing was never about the climate. It was always about changing the economy of the planet, the economic system of the planet, ladies and gentlemen. And once you hear them saying these things, and all of these things that the Birchers have been telling us, and all the end times uh, prophets or you know, semi-prophets have been telling us, the preachers, me, Alex Jones, then this thing starts to take shape and it starts to look really black and insidious. It's not a flight of fancy, nor is it a conspiracy theory. It is an agenda, just like our agenda as conservatives, as for minimal government, okay, minimal government, states' rights, okay, or federalism, they're one and the same, and um, controlling, uh, uh, maintaining a very powerful U.S. defense. Because it's not just for us; it's for you know the planet to keep all of these despots and dictators under control, and all of these communists and Marxists, democide being the number one killer to the tune of hundreds of millions of people in the 20th century and you know part of the 21st. The third thing is debt, and that's the thing that we uh, need to start looking at. Although you know it's funny, isn't it, how the Democrats are suddenly, after eight years, suddenly worried about the debt ratio. Have you noticed that after Obama essentially doubled the debt, now they're worried about the debt. Now they want to, you know, we've passed the budgets. Okay, we've got a budget for each year. No, I'm not extremely happy that it went up. But um, I believe we're going to get that under control. And I believe that with the tax cut, you're going to see roaring growth levels that are actually going to increase the revenue into the government the way it always does. And this is the, it's not static as these idiots would like, these talking heads uh, would like you to think. It is not a static system. It is a dynamic system. So if we have a massive business, remember, a 1% increase in GDP is equal to $1 trillion. Now, can you imagine if Trump got us moving into a 6% increase Can you imagine what kind of additional taxes that's going to create, whether we have tax cuts or not, okay? The tax cuts is going to be the impetus, the the catalyst for actually boosting massive amounts of growth. However, the globalists within the government do not want this, and I'm going to explain why. So poverty is the thing that the Democrats, they are the party of poverty, and they are the party of the so-called elite, as they like to refer to themselves. And we see what the media elites have been doing. Well, they have been executing their own war on women, and I'm watching these idiots going, what in the hell is wrong with you people? Can't you leave women alone? Can't you actually figure out how to get a woman to like you so that you don't have to threaten them and power them and all of these different things? I mean, really, seriously, what happened to just normal attractiveness? They don't like you. Oh, well, then move on. But, you know, Garrison Keeler, <laughs> I'm going to get into these stories, I promise you. But I did want to hit this first phase to sort of kick off where I see us at, okay, where the, where the Democrats and the globalists want us to go, increase the debt to an unsustainable level, and, and then the taxes must increase, and this will produce even more poverty because the more the, the more capital that the government or cash, whatever you want to call it, the more that the government has is the less is in the American people's pockets or any nation's pockets because the government is controlling the capital. 
Okay, the government has all of the capital, and they want even more. And so, if they're taking all of your capital, you cannot expand. You have nothing to expand with. So, it's a self-defeating proposition. It's one that we're very familiar with. It's one that all the economists know about, but it's the one that the Democrats don't want you to see. Isn't that fascinating? Gun control. Remove the ability for citizens to defend themselves from the government. And in that way, you were able to create a police state, which is exactly what they've been trying to establish going all the way back to Bush and the Patriot Act. That is what that was always about, ladies and gentlemen. Welfare. Take control of every aspect of their lives, food, housing, and income. Put them all on welfare, and you've got them for the rest of their lives. Education. Take control of what children read and what they are taught in school and dumb the hell down out of it. I mean, dumb it down to where they they can't even think with a rudimentary skill. They have no analytical abilities. As a matter of fact, teach them not to be uh, um, analytical. Don't let them – and just teach them a uh, sort of a scallywag form of uh, reactionary social justicism. Yeah, teach them that, and then they won't need to think about analytical. They can just uh, – react with their emotions, you see, which is what they do now. Uh, it's all about emotion. It's all about overreacting to some of those silliest and stupidest things, and we're going to hit some of those tonight. Number seven, religion. And this is, this is a key one. Remove the belief in God from government and schools, and the rest of the culture will follow suit, ladies and gentlemen. So what do we see them doing and have been doing all of this time? They've removed it from the schools, unless this is them. They're teaching ISM. They're promoting it. I wrote the story on it. The U.S. government is promoting ISM in the schools. I can show you where and how. I've been through this in other shows. But number eight, class warfare. You see, by the way, a belief in God, the Christians believe in God. The whole thing about the Democrats' impetus is government as God. Because if, the, if, if your rights do not come from God, then they must come from government. So you see the whole constitutional system uh, falls completely apart if there is no God that they – and they know that there is one. They just – you know, they're, they're on the opposite team, okay? I mean, that's the way it is. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Um, and even if, if they uh, claim to be religious and have a God, for the most part, uh, their God is not our God. It's a fake God. It's like Islam. So, oh, the Christian God and the Judaic God and the, uh, you know, and the, and the Islamic God, we're all, they're all the same God. You know, you've heard them say that so many times. And yet then if indeed we worship the same creator, then why do you kill us for being unbelievers of your God, Islam? I mean, it's the question for the ages, and nobody seems to want to tackle that. Why do they want to kill us, constantly want to kill us as infidels, as unbelievers? Go look it up in the Quran. That's what it constantly states. If they are wanting to kill us because we are unbelievers, then how can they insist that we believe in the same God? And Muhammad, ladies and gentlemen, is not a God. He's not even a prophet, okay? Not, not the way we see it. Not in the Christian world. So it's a, it's, look, Islam borrows early and heavily from the Torah, the Jewish religion or the Jewish faith, uh, largely because, and, and they don't believe in Christ. They believe that he was like, uh, what, a significant figure, but they don't believe in his holiness. As a matter of fact, they call him the servant of Muhammad. They say he's going to come back and kill all the Christian believers uh, because they don't believe uh, Muhammad is a prophet and because, you know, 
it's sort of that uh, type of belief. Nissan, I believe, is what they call them. And they say that, uh, you know, Jesus is going to kill all the Christians when he comes back. I mean, it's just so far-fetched and ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, but And they do that to insult us. But, no, it's not the same God. Their God is, well, it's a moon God. It's one of the demigods from the Parthenon, I suppose you could say. Uh, uh, you know, the crescent moon and all of that. It's the Islamic God. Basically, it's Satan. Let's just put it that way. I mean, look at look at how they treat unbelievers. Look at what they do to them. Behead them, hang them, all of these things. And number eight, class warfare. And this is one of the significant things. And you, you notice all the way down now, there wasn't a conservative that put this together. It was Saul Alinsky himself. He wrote the textbook for all of the things that they've been doing. Divide the people into the wealthy and the poor. This will cause more discontent, and it will be easier to tax the wealthy with the support of the poor. And within all of these various things, divide the people into the wealthy and the poor, create discontent, balkanize your populations, a divided house will fall, you see. So this is how they roll constantly. This is what they believe in. And we can see all of these things taking place, and in various little niches and, and little areas here and there, as we move along, we can see it constantly happening. So, having said all that, well, where are we? Well, let's uh, let's delve into the main part of the show. Now, you can follow along at conservativerefocus.com. Um, if you're a if you're listening right now, uh, you do understand that you can find us now on Stitcher. We're on iTunes and. Uh, of course, we're at Blog Talk Radio, and you can access the show at www.conservativerefocus.com. Go to the news section, and uh, there there are all these various sections with all these various things. So, now, on the Matt Lauer down, I'm going to get into that in, in just a little bit, uh, quite thickly, but some of the stories we're seeing coming out. Folks, did you know <clears throat> that Lauer uh, had a secret button? under his desk to lock his office door? Now, what in the world was that about? Okay? I mean, seriously. I've got so many stories, but to kick this thing off, uh, I wanted you to hear after today's show, which is where they just fired him from. I woke up, and I looked at my iPad when I you know, went to use the bathroom this morning, you know, bright and early, and this thing, this message was lit up on my iPad, and I looked at it, and my eyes got big, even though they were bleary and, you know, coated, but it said Mount Lyra fired for sexual harassment. Man, they they went after him like the snap of a finger. It was immediate, ladies and gentlemen, and I was like, whoa, I don't know what he did, but it must have been really, really bad. This stuff has been going on apparently for quite some time, and once again, it's the, who do they refer to themselves as? The elite. They are the elite. No, they are the perverts, okay? And and they are just coming apart. NPR, multiple executives, okay? Oh, by the way, uh, Garrison Keillor was a major fixture on NPR. I should add that. But uh, I wanted you to hear how they introduced the Today Show. We'll just sit back for a moment and enjoy this. Uh, You know, I really... and, And Oh, by the way, we'll hit this one, too, but... Lauer was the one that actually unlocked uh, this. Uh, you remember the Trump pussy grab deal and all of that stuff that came out that was locker room talk? Do you remember that? 
Well, guess who helped make that? Guess who facilitated that? How about it? So, uh, yeah, I just and we're gonna. I'm gonna let you listen to also. I've got a lot of clips here to go through. So, but first, let's just check out the Today Show. This is uh, Matt Lauer's. Uh, what did he make? Twenty million a year. I mean, he was there. You know, he was there. He was there. Tom Brady, right? Oh yeah. Uh, he's gone now. I just think it's hilarious, and this is not going to help their ratings, ladies and gentlemen. But here you go. Check and listen. Here we go. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to today. And Hoda's here with me at this morning because this is a sad morning here at Today and at NBC News. Just moments ago, NBC News Chairman Andy Lack sent the following note to our organization. Dear colleagues, on Monday night, we received a detailed complaint from a colleague about inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace by Matt Lauer. It represented, after serious review, a clear violation of our company's standards. As a result, we have decided to terminate his employment. While it is the first complaint about his behavior in the over 20 years he has been at NBC News, we were also presented with reason to believe this may not have been an isolated incident. Our highest priority is to create a workplace environment where everyone feels safe and protected and to ensure that any actions that run counter to our core values are met with consequences no matter who the offender. We are deeply saddened by this turn of events, but we will face it together as a news organization and do it in as transparent a manner as we can. That is the statement from our chairman, Andy Lack, and we just learned this moments ago, just this morning. As I'm sure you can imagine, we are devastated, and we are still processing all of this. And I will tell you right now, we do not know more than what I just shared with you, but we will be covering this story as reporters, as journalists, I'm sure we will be learning more details in the hours and days to come, and we promise we will share that with you. Mm-hmm. And Hoda, I mean, you know, for the moment, all we can say is that we are heartbroken. I'm heartbroken for Matt. He is my dear, dear friend and my partner, and he is beloved by many, many people here. And I'm heartbroken for the brave colleague who came forward to tell her story and any other women who have their own stories to tell. And we are grappling with a dilemma that so many people have faced these past few weeks. How do you reconcile your love for someone with the revelation that they have behaved badly? And I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that this reckoning that so many organizations have been going through is important. It's long overdue. And it must result in workplaces where all women, all people, Mm -hmm. feel safe and respected. As painful as it is this moment in our culture and this change had to happen. Yeah, it did. This is a, a very tough morning for both of us. Um, I've known Matt for 15 years, and I've loved him as a friend and as a colleague. And again, just like you were saying, Savannah, it's hard to reconcile what we are hearing with the man who we know who walks in this uh, building every single day. We were both woken up with the news kind of pre-dawn, and we're trying to process it and trying to make sense of it, and it'll take some time for that. Yeah, we're processing it with all of yeah. you at home, mm-hmm. and we've promised to be transparent and be straightforward and continue this important conversation. Absolutely. And there's no real way to do this, but this show has been on the air for more than 65 years, and we're here because of you. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to bring you the news, so we're going to do that. We're going to keep doing it, doing it together, Mm -hmm. all of us and the crew and people that love this show. Yep. And so we will go on with the news. Hello, today, fans. Thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking that button down there and click on any of the videos over here to watch the latest interview. Okay, 
So there's that. Now, I'm sure a lot of people were shocked to get that. Trump had to throw in his, I love, I'll tell you, I love this man's tweets, and people are just getting all out of sorts. And the more they get out of sorts, the better it is, folks. Now, what I did want to say before I go into this Trump, uh, let you know what he said if you hadn't heard it yet, is I think what we're seeing is the entire power structure of the left, when you stop and think about it, it's actually coming down, ladies and gentlemen, it's disintegrating. This is, and this is, this is a flank of the globalist movement, a major hardcore flank. It's almost like a fort, I should say, of these globalists and what they're trying to do. And when you ask, well, why is it, uh, why is it frowning? Well, think about it. Um, the people, these victims, they all and their victims. There's no doubt about it. Who have been wanting to say this? Who have been suffering from this? were obviously too afraid. Now, Matt Lauer was leading a double life. He'd been doing this for a long time, uh, apparently. But finally they got somebody to set it down on paper and go after Matt Lauer. So why now? Well, again, it's because the power structure of the entire base of the left is disintegrating. And why is it disintegrating? Well, because they are no longer in power. Trump has wrestled power away from these Deadpool types, because these people can get killed. I mean, you go look at my stories on, uh, and the many stories on Clinton, which we've got another one on her and her Deadpool. Well, she was just one of many um, who would threaten people uh, for trying to expose, and, and I don't doubt that they, you know, maybe some of these are Illuminati members, who knows, but once that power structure starts frazzling, people are less afraid. They know that the people who are in power can no longer control their lives the way that they did. Okay, so they get the signal. They see it disintegrating. They're pissed off about all of this. They've been hanging on to this for years, and they finally see that, okay, I can come out and tell my story. I can tell how I've been victimized by these idiots, and I don't so much, now now that they're out of power, now that they're being suffused uh, with a new reality, uh, I can come out and tell my story, and this is precisely what we're seeing happening. So this is a symptom of what is actually taking place, ladies and gentlemen. The left's power structure is crumbling. This is why you're seeing this happen. I have studied over this for ever since this, all of this began back at Hollywood, uh, back in the Hollywood period, uh, beginning what, late last year, early this year, especially when they were coming after Trump. Fridge's locker room talking, that's all that it was. There there is they remember the New York Times went after him with six women and every single one of those women refuted the story, saying, No, that's not true. They all came out in support of Trump. Well, you don't see anybody popping out in support of these uh liberal, so called uh e- elite leftists, do you? Do you see anybody coming out and saying, Oh no, 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 that didn't happen. That didn't happen to me. No, 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 that's not true. No. So again, this is a symptom of the crumbling that's taking place. <clears throat> and this translates into the fact that we, and that includes Trump, we are winning. And have you seen the way this tax thing turned? When I, uh, after I got that bit of news, well, then I you know, drove down my tenth of a mile driveway. Uh, it's a long way. And uh, I ain't walking that just after I get out of bed. I get up, I make the coffee, and then I back the big Dodge Ram Longhorn down the driveway, roll down my window, and get the paper out of the box, and then I roll right back forward. And uh, 
the first thing that I saw in the newspaper when I finally got to the point where I could read it, that was after the first cup of coffee comes off, uh, and I see that this Trump uh, tax deal has suddenly taking a turn for the better, starting to look, to look better. And uh, I've seen a lot of naysayers from the quasi-conservative side of the movement. That's the quasi, meaning I don't know how conservative some of these folks are. But what I have, there, there's some, you know, there's some, oh, this is not going to work. This is not good. This is not going to help. And all of this stuff. Folks, any relief is better than none. Okay? This is going to come out, and it's going to be, you know, not the same as when it, it began to uh, take shape between Congress, the Trump regime, and the Senate. But still, whatever they come up with, if it's less, okay, especially for the middle class, and it will be, if it's less, it's better than nothing, okay? And that's uh, you're never going to get the optimum, okay? You're going to get what you need, and that's yes, it should be enough if at least just the major points of these things are passed. So I'm watching this, and this is why I don't talk about the tax stuff very often because. It's going to be changed so many times, it's almost pointless to even go into it. But pretty much the naysayers, I really don't know what their agenda is. And look, everybody has an agenda except me. I'm kidding. I have an agenda. My agenda is America. My agenda is success, continuing success. My agenda is keeping everybody free as best I can in my own little way. So uh, now then. After that introduction from the Today Show, uh, the uh, who was it? yeah Newsbusters over in MRC, okay, they ran the story, uh, uh, pulling back on the interview, some just the highlights of the interview uh, that Matt Lauer, <coughs> who who was fired for sexual crap, okay. Now remember what happened to Bill O'Reilly over at Fox? Well, it's pretty much the same stuff. Uh, and I don't think it was nearly as flagrant as what's been going on with these libs. I'm just saying, not even close. Just from the you know the the fringes of what I can tell. But uh, here, listen to this interview. Listen to the hypocrisy flowing from this man's pores. It's incredible. Just listen. Of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. You said at the time you did absolutely nothing wrong. Correct. Do you stand by that? I do. And so did you provide Fox News any evidence, any information that you think could have changed their mind as to what you were guilty or not guilty of? You were probably the last guy in the world that they wanted to fire because you were the guy that the ratings and the revenues were built on. You carried that network on your shoulders for a lot of years. So doesn't it seem safe to assume that the people at Fox News were given a piece of information or given some evidence that simply made it impossible for you to stay on at Fox News. Uh, But you don't let your number one guy go unless you have information that you think makes him. That's not true. Did you ever send a lewd text or email to another employee at Fox News? No. Did you ever have any human resources cases brought against you? Every company in this country, including this one, Comcast, has these lawsuits. Everyone. But think about those five women um, and what they did. They came forward and filed complaints against the biggest star 
at the network they worked at. Think of how intimidating that must have been, how nerve-wracking that must have been. Doesn't that tell you how strongly they felt about the way they were treated by you? Over the last six months since your firing, have you done some soul-searching? Have you, have you done some self-reflection? And have you looked at the way you treated women that you think now or think about differently now than you did at the time? Don't you just love it? Did you hear that? It's almost worth replaying that, especially the last part of it. Maybe we should. I want you to hear just that little bit again. Listen to this. Everyone. But think about those five women um, and what they did. They came forward and filed complaints against the biggest star at the network they worked at. Think of how intimidating that must have been, how nerve-wracking that must have been. Doesn't that tell you how strongly they felt about the way? Yeah, so every, he's pointing the finger at Bill O'Reilly, and this guy's got three pointing right back at him from his own hand. I cannot imagine the hypocrisy of somebody that would even conduct an interview knowing what this guy has done to women at his own net, of which he is the biggest star there, okay? Um, so, anyway, I just think that's incredible. Uh, Donald Trump responded to Matt Wowers uh, being fired uh, as follows. So, now that Matt Lauer is gone, when will the fake news practitioners at NBC be terminating the contract of Phil Griffin? And will they terminate low ratings Joe Scarborough based on the unsolved mystery that took place in Florida years ago? Investigate. Okay, so uh, now most people don't know about that, but apparently uh, this, I think it was like back in 2001, but he didn't say anything beyond that. He just said unsolved mystery took place in Florida years ago. Investigate. So, uh a lot of people were going, oh, what the heck is that all about, right? Gee, what what was this mystery? Well, uh, one of his, uh, it was a woman who worked for Joe Scarborough in his office uh, as a, uh, you know, a political liaison of some sort. Uh, she was found dead in his office, and they determined it to be natural causes, of course. So uh, we don't know beyond that, but anyway, Scarborough's brother, Joe, or whatever his name is, uh, um, no, not Joe, uh, I don't know, what, I'll have to go back and look, but uh, he, uh, he, oh, he got really mad, and he said, you know what, I am pulling my support, you're going after my brother, how dare you go after my brother, Bob, I mean, it was a little uh, case of you, pro thou protest way too much, okay, so, Anyway, that that was Trump's response to it. And, of course, we have to, folks, we just have to, before I uh, let you uh, sort of hear what uh, Mr. Matt Lauer has been up to all of this time, uh, it, it, yeah, you can hear it in my voice. These, these are these media elite pinheads, the one who treated uh, so many of our own like uh, – just fly flotsam, okay? So many, including the president with these stern, nasty interviews, uh, you know, leveling these accusations when they indeed were the ones who were uh, more guilty uh, than anybody else in any of this. Anyway, so now listen to the transition uh, of the view. This is over at Daily Caller, but listen to how they quickly get past lower 
Lauer, where if he had been a Republican, uh, they would have probably spent the entire show. Maybe I should get the clip about them and O'Reilly. But anyway, check it out. This is kind of funny. Really hard for me to hear because I grew up at the Today Show and I worked with Matt mm-hmm. for years and years. So I echo many of her sentiments that first and foremost, no one gets a pass. This behavior is never okay. I, I personally um, had such great experiences with Matt, uh, and he was someone that cheerleaded for me and supported me. And I know, as, as Savannah said, he was extremely beloved there. But I do commend the person with the bravery who comes out to speak about you know, any of this type of behavior. It's just I, I feel for my friends over there today because I know it's a dark day at yeah. the Today Show, and um, it, it, it's just hard. It's, well, it's, it's hard. They're going to lose ratings also. I mean, the same with Charlie Rose's show. You know, he raised those ratings when he came on. And right now they're probably more now personal again. because so many of the staff have grown up there and stayed there for years and years and years. So today I'm, I'm sure the job part will hit them, but right yeah. now it's personal. You know, you know they, yeah. they, don't you think uh, that the executives at these uh, networks have some clue I mean, you know, it's Matt Lauer, you can say it's Charlie Rose, uh, you know, people who, we all know what goes on in the places that we work. I was going to say, Fox and nothing was going Fox on here, by the way. Family. Yeah. Yeah. All we have is Ryan Tedder. That's a, he's the only man we have. Don't forget about Keith and Christian and Frank. Uh, no, but, but Ryan is scared of us. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> no, I just was going to say Fox News is, was my family. And when it imploded from the inside out with Roger Ailes, obviously the head being one of the biggest abusers, um, it's a very difficult thing to be a part of, especially when you feel like, oh God, what did I know? What did I, I didn't know anything. But when you're just surrounded by people that have clearly been put through so much, I will say regarding, I've never worked at NBC, uh, I worked at MSNBC briefly, but not NBC. The way Matt Lauer treated Ann Curry, that's when I was done with him. I'm the biggest fan of Ann Curry, period. When they, when she was let go or whatever, it was obviously very contentious. I just thought the way that they treated her on the way up. I love Ann Curry. I think she's one of the greatest journalists of our time. And I thought it was so disrespectful. I don't know if they would have. Again, I don't know. I never worked there, but I just felt like, would you treat a man that way on the way out? And yeah. she was crying, and it was so uncomfortable. And I'm still such a big fan of hers, and I would love to see her come back. Well, you know, you know, you know, karma's a bitch. <laughs> the show as well, though, because so many people cared about both of them, and as you watch things played out, so that wasn't a good time, and I yeah. don't, I just don't think for people that were behind the scenes, I don't think it was this clear cut. It just hurt on both sides. Yeah. Like, it yeah. Was, I it never was worked there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the outside. No, I understand. And, of course, you know, who? Who? DT. DT. That's given DT is a bad name. Anyway, um... <laughs> Tweeted, thank you. Tweeted that uh, now that Matt Lauer is gone, will when will fake news practitioners at NBC be terminating the contract of Phil Griffin? And will they terminate low ratings Joe Scarborough based on an unsolved mystery that took place in Florida years ago? Whoa. Investigate. <laughs> You know, he never yeah. misses an opportunity to tweet about a sexual harasser yeah. possibility that's not named Trump. Well, you know I was going to point out, and so I, I, I mean, we do this, we talk about. Okay, so you see how they segued into Fox News, even despite all of these liberals being uh, taken down uh, by their own people, okay? See how they they just sort of segued right into Fox News, hit Ailes, 
And then they went on to start hitting Trump, and then the rest of the time, of course, is spent hitting Trump. And, by the way, there have been no allegations that I know of against Trump, nothing uh, that I know of. So uh, just incredible stuff, really, and uh, such hypocrisy, such hypocrisy. So um, from there, now, I did want to hit some of these stories, and then we're going to go back up to the top and hit some of the other the major things that have been going on, but we're not going to let this drop. Um, what I did want to mention, though, is the fact that uh, he his his uh, sexual harassment. Um, to give you a little bit more background, um, uh, some of the things that he has done. He gave a colleague a sex toy as a present, which included an explicit note about how he wanted to use it on her, which left her mortified. On another day, he summoned a different female employee to his office and then dropped his pants, showing her his penis. After the employee declined to do anything about it, visibly shaken, he reprimanded her for not engaging in a sexual act. How about that? He would sometimes quiz female producers about who they'd slept with, offering to trade names, and he loved to engage in a crass quiz game with men and women in the office which would be F U, you know, uh, marry or kill. So uh, F, marry or kill, in which he would identify the female co-host that he'd most like to sleep with. This is one crass MF, okay? These accounts of Laura's behavior at M- NBC uh, are the result of a two-month investigation by Variety, uh, which is the uh, venue that I am uh, recounting this story from. With dozens of interviews and with current and former staffers, Variety has talked to three women who identified themselves as victims of sexual harassment by Laura. So now I would take you back to that original clip which I played from the Today Show. It's like, oh, we're just now finding out about this. No, this is, uh, this is not new news. Uh, and it's certainly not water under the bridge or it's not been what is it, litigated already, as Hillary Clinton constantly says about her crimes. Moving on, and their stories have been corroborated, these ladies, by friends or colleagues that they told at the time. Too bad she don't have uh, Lauer. Maybe he should call Hillary and let her do a number on these ladies the way he did on the three uh, that went after her husband, Bill, for his, well, one of them was rape. The other one was very similar to what showing his penis to uh, one lady, I forget her name, right, at least right now, and then there was another incident as well. There were three of them, uh, and then, of course, let's not even go into the uh, Lolita flights with that billionaire friend of his, which, uh, well, you, you've heard about that. So on Wednesday, NBC announced that Laura was fired from today. It was it was stunning. I was like, holy, what? It was a stunning move for a co-host who was widely considered the crown jewel of the network's news division with a $25 million annual salary. The cause of his dismissal, according to sources, was a detailed complaint from another current NBC employee about inappropriate sexual conduct from Lauer that started on a trip at the Sochi Olympics in 2014 and continued for months. The employee met with Human Resources at NBC on Monday night. In a statement, the chairman, Andy Lack, which would be Roger Ailes' sort of cohort or counterpart, called the, the, this the first complaint in his behavior uh, in over 20 years, which I sincerely doubt, based on the 
all of this flood of uh, stories coming out. And I acknowledge that it may not be the last. We were also presented with reason to believe that this may not have been an isolated incident. So are they lying about this? Uh, oh, this is the first time we've heard about this. Several women told Variety that they complained to executives at the network about Lauer's behavior, which fell on deaf ears, given the lucrative advertising surrounding today. NBC declined to comment from most of Lauer's to New York Today. The morning news show was number one in the ratings, and executives were eager to keep him happy. It's not clear if NBC is paying Lauer through the end of his contract, which expires in 2018. Lauer could not be reached for comment. He's sort of on the, uh, what do we call it, uh, the uh, game of uh, no 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 the house of cards uh, playlist that uh, uh, that top actor what's his name Ted Gummit uh, always re- I forget these now I could recall them in my sleep and then in the middle of the show I can't. anyway insiders say that NBC was forced to act quickly after this week's complaint given the severity of the accusations and the national dialogue around sexual harassment that has entered the careers of Weinstein, Charlie Rose, Kevin Spacey, there you go, Louis C.K., and other prominent uh, celebrities. You know, the kind that Facebook actually talks to uh, when there's a problem, because they certainly don't talk to, if you don't have potent celebrity status, they won't give you the time of day, I should add. Anyway, now against a series of questions about the future of today, a troubling portrait has emerged of Lauer. In front of the camera, for more than two decades, he had positioned himself as America's squeaky clean dad. But behind the scenes, Laura was a different person. Despite being married, Laura was fixated on women, especially their bodies and looks. According to more than ten accounts from current and former employees, he was known for making lewd comments verbally uh, or over text messages. He once made a... a remember his, his question to Bill O'Reilly, have you ever sent a crude text message to a female employee? No. Well, it's just the, the hypocrisy, ladies and gentlemen. You know, and, and it's, almost, it's almost supernatural. I keep saying that. And that makes me wonder about this third horseman that we were talking about last week. And then, of course, the fourth one. When is that one getting ready to go? And has it already? The pale horseman. Behold a pale horse. Anyway, um, he made a suggestion of a reference to a colleague's performance in bed and compared it to how she was able to complete her job, according to witnesses to the exchange for Lauer, work and sex were intertwined. So what does that mean? So apparently he had been to bed with his colleague, and he even compared it in public, her uh, you know, uh, bedroom or her boudoir talents, to how she was able to complete her job. How about that? Anyway, for Laura, work and sex was intertwined. There were a lot of consensual relationships, but that's still a problem because of the power he held, says a former producer who knew firsthand of these encounters. He couldn't sleep around town with celebrities or on the road with random people because he's Matt Lauer and he's married, so he'd have to do it within his stable where he exerted power and new people would never complain. He was paranoid about being followed by reporters. He grew more emboldened at Rockefeller Center as his profile rose following Keddy Couric's departure in 06. His office was in a secluded space, and he had a button under his desk that allowed him to lock his door from the inside without getting up whenever he was feeling randy, apparently. This afforded him the assurance of privacy. It allowed him to welcome female employees, lock the door, and initiate inappropriate contact while knowing nobody could walk in on him according to two women who were sexually harassed by Lord, Man, this guy is a perv. Good gosh. I mean, seriously, according to sources, 
the sexual harassment extended to when Lauer traveled on assignment. Several employees recalled how he paid intense attention to a young woman on his staff that he found attractive. Focusing intently on her career ambitions, and he asked the same producer to his hotel room to deliver him a pillow, according to sources with knowledge of the interaction. This was part of a pattern, according to multiple accounts, independently corroborated. Lauer would invite women employed by NBC late at night to his hotel room while covering the Olympics for uh, various cities over the years. He later told colleagues how his wife had accompanied him to London, Olympus because she didn't trust him to travel alone. The spotlight on Lauer intensified earlier when his longtime booker, Matt Zimmerman, was fired over sexual harassment complaints. The two were very close, and Lauer had promoted Zimmerman to a high executive position and offered him a powerful perch. Uh, Lauer's conduct was not secret among uh, other employees at today, so it sort of kills that storyline, doesn't it? The, the one that they've been pitching. At least one of the anchors would gossip about stories she had heard, spreading them among the staff. Management sucks there, says a former reporter, asked not to be identified. Speaking about executives who previously worked at the show, they protected the shit out of Matt Lauer. Uh, so the story goes on and on, but uh, folks, this is just incredible. It is uh, absolutely incredible. And they say that. Uh, uh, it's getting worse. It's going to get worse. Uh, it's not isolated, as you have already seen. Uh, the worst is yet to come, is what they're saying from the Daily Beast. Uh, and it, they, they're they're telling us it is getting worse. Um, let me see. Yeah, Savannah Guthrie was the lady that you heard talking. And she was just a little bit shaky, I would say. Now, this comes right after Charlie Rose... Uh, did his deal, and then we find out about Garrison Keeler, and now Megan Kelly is saying I had to shove Roger Ailes off me. Uh, remember Mark Halperin, the other uh, media so-called elite, who was uh, doing the same creepy stuff to women uh, after the employee declined to do anything visibly shaken. He, he reprimanded her for not. I mean, this is just incredible, just incredible news. Um, and, uh, you know, these, these are the same folks that, that went after Trump time and time again. And, by the way, let me get into that other story. Uh, now, the thing about this is, this is over at InfoWars, Matt Lauer being fired over allegations of sexual harassment is laced in irony all over the place, as you heard with him, Bill O'Reilly, in his interview. But irony, given that Lauer is suspected to have played a key role in leaking the infamous Hollywood Access tape, that was used to demonize Donald Trump as an abuser. Yeah, the left thought that was it. They thought that was all over, but it was just words. It was just him, you know, doing locker room talk. All of us guys have, uh, you know, participated in it. No, I'm not ashamed because it wasn't directed at anybody in particular. We, you know, we talk. I'm probably not nearly as bad as a lot of guys I've heard. Uh, it's typically taking place in your younger days. Remember, I was a sailor on a U.S. Navy destroyer. Oh, you talk about <laughs> anyway. NBC announced it was terminating Lauer's contract following a detailed complaint. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's not an isolated incident. They keep saying that, but they keep saying that this is the first we've heard of it. So, you know, what does that mean? Uh, it's just, I'm just reading down through here. Um, wait a minute. Yeah, he, he did help leak the the what they call the pussy grab tape. Sorry for my language, but that's what it is. Um, 
and uh, you know you got Al Franken hanging out there. You, and I'm going to go into this list, okay? But uh, yeah, he he was a big part of that. And uh, by the way, uh, Kathy Lee Gifford, of course, is ready to forgive. Um, let's see, Geraldo becomes Geraldo's so stupid. News is a thirty business. That's what Geraldo has to say. Uh, I don't know about locking the door to harass a female employee. I don't think that's flirting, Geraldo. I'm, you know, maybe it's just me, but, you know. Uh, but, uh, and then uh, Al Franken, by the way, and this is the true part of it. He, he was asked multiple times if he is a part of the war on women. So we see who, ladies and gentlemen, is conducting the war on women, do we not? Now then, uh, before I... Uh, pop out of this particular story and move on to some other ones. Uh, there are a number of names. There, There is a long list um, in addition to these guys. You got Matt Lauer, of course, uh, who that was today. Uh, then you got Harvey Weinstein, one of the Hollywood uh, four columns. He's gone. Anchor Charlie Rose, uh, NPR, National Public Radio, one of those elites. News Chief Michael, Michael Oreskes, New York Times political reporter Glenn Thrush. I mean, look, look at these names. Uh, left-wing political analyst Mark Halperin. On Monday night, NBC News learned of this, and it'll be surprising if Andy Lack isn't uh, also exposed. Unless, of course, maybe he's gay. Who knows? I don't know. No, I'm not saying that he is. But, uh, you know, that's that's always going to be in the woodwork here. But then, you know, you go look at Kevin Spacey, and you see it pops on the other side as well. So it says, as a result, we've decided to terminate his employment, uh, and they call it the first employment. I mean, I, this is just incredible. Rose was asked for his roles on CBS and PBS just last week. Garrison Keillor is done. Um, uh, let's see. Where are some other names? Yeah, Mark Halpern was suspended from his position at NBC News. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who, who, who goes at ABC. I think I don't think they've had anybody yet. Uh, now, he did have a previous role at ABC News. That was Halperin, uh, but he was somewhere else. Um, I'm looking at some other names here. Uh, yeah, uh, his exit, by the way, was followed by the departure on Wednesday of NPR, Chief News Editor David Sweeney. Now, you know, NPR has been after Trump this entire time, calling him every name of the book saying he's going to do this, he's going to do that, he's, he's horrible, it's horrible, you know, running around, chicken little. And look at who the who the real deal is when it comes to the war on women, sexual harassment. Uh, it's, it's these elite media types. It's the very people who have been blaming the Republicans, the various, uh, all along, all along. And it's, you know, the, the, the defenders, the, the feminists, as they say, Oh, my goodness, how just a world do we live in? It's starting to look really interesting, isn't it? So uh, NPR's chief news editor, David Sweeney. Um, and then we've got, uh, let me see. Yeah, those are some of the major names. I'm sure they're, you know, the, really the interesting question to me at this point is uh, what about the ones that we don't know about? Because generally it's like an iceberg, right? You know, an iceberg is a hell of a lot bigger on the bottom than it is on the top. That top part is just a small part. The one, the part that you can see is so infinitesimal compared to the mass below it. 
okay, the things that we will not be able to always see. So uh, let's see what uh, Franken had to say. Now, I haven't heard this. Humiliated Al Franken. I'm sure he's happy that Matt Lauer got caught because it removes, maybe it removes some of the heat from him. I don't know. could work the other way. But let's hear what he had to say in this Daily Caller report. Tonight, an exceptional episode of this. chairman of the senatorial groping committee okay so uh yeah that was al franken and uh <laughs> anyway there's there's so much of this it's just incredible now to move on into a few other parts uh of the entire story uh we've got uh, let me see yeah this royally appointed anglican archbishop of england's official false church now folks have you ever stood i mean i'm moving from that into this right from the sexual harassment left to the false church left which you know they sort of had a little bit of a club going on there but the uh now and i'm going to tell you a little bit if you don't know and a lot of people don't the story about the anglican church uh dating back to the 1500s when they more or less ran king henry ran the catholic church out of england at least for a time and that was when <clears throat> the catholics were <clears throat> burning people at the stake for all sorts of things Yes, all sorts of uh, you know, heretical, or at least to them it was heretical, things that had uh, taken place. Like, for instance, maybe you knew how to read, but you're not a priest in the Catholic Church, and you were caught reading a Bible. Yeah, they burn you at the stake for that. Can you imagine? Uh, just the, you know, I mean, just so many people have lost their lives due to the Jesuits and uh, the other members of the, just, the Benedict. I mean, it doesn't matter. So, uh, But anyway, that, now this is the Archbishop of England's uh, official false church uh, created, get this, so that King Henry VIII could marry his second wife, Anne Boleyn, with whom he was, uh, well, he was actually conducting a very strong case of blue balls with this particular lady. So... This guy has come out basically in an attack on Trump. Uh, this is the, uh, the top uh, church dude from England, uh, Anglican Church, which is the it's the English wing of the Episcopalian Church in America, if you were wondering. The Episcopal Church in America is an offshoot of the Anglican Church. And remember now, during the early days, one of the main reasons that 
Thomas Jefferson was so big on keeping the church out of the government is because even in those days, in the 1700s, uh, with uh, b- before our War of Independence, our Revolutionary War against the Brits, they were actually uh, using the church to tax people. Okay, and they were, you know, the the, the Anglican Church here in America. Uh, had sort of an authoritarian bent to it, make people do certain things that they didn't want to do. And so the church was given its power by King King George at the time. That was in the 1700s. But isn't it fascinating? So one of the main reasons for the separation of church and state was so that the church could not compel you to do something. That's a bit of history, but this all stems from this church that I'm talking about right now. Now, uh, we know that there's been like a subsummation of a globalist ecumenical movement, and some even in the United States have sort of some of these major preachers, um, I'm not going to say any names, but they have more or less joined into it, okay, this ecumenical you know, uh, potluck religion that, that incorporates all sorts of other faiths and tries to put forth the notion that, oh, it's just different paths to the same God. No, it is not. So they, uh, this new church it will chiefly espouse a New Age belief in pretty much nothing in particular. Uh, and uh, this is uh, just an officially religious functionary, this guy that uh, uh, stepped forward in an effort designed to entertain us by telling us that we, I can't believe you would vote for Trump because this guy is a globalist from hell, quite frankly. But instead of it being the Marxist pope of the New Age movement, in this case it's his brother, uh, the Brits Anglican Church. And yes, they are, they, it was just as in the days back in ancient Israel when uh, you know the northern kingdom split from the Levites, the southern kingdom, and the, this is just before the nation of Israel fell in um, whatever year that might have been. It was a long time ago. Um, but when that was happening, the uh, the king of northern Israel, which was kind of a pagan king, uh, that's when they started worship graven images, and that's really where a lot of the pagan druidic belief systems actually came from, believe it or not. It did the Celts, um, all of these... You know, all of these different religions came from ancient Israel, and what they were trying to do was to sort of set up a Church of the Northern Kingdom just to keep the people more or less occupied in the traditional way that they had done prior to the kingdom splitting away from the priestly sects who more or less controlled things. Okay? So uh, what you're seeing here was the Anglican Church, in this case, breaking off and more or less following along with uh, Martin Luther's Reformation, okay? They did play a part in this Reformation, but look, the whole thing of it was that King Henry wanted to marry Anne Boleyn, and he wanted his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. He wanted that annulled, okay? That was the whole Look, folks, that is the foundation of the Anglican Church. And by the way, those of you who great in Great Britain who listen, I love you, okay? And this is not aimed at you. This is aimed at this false church that happens to reside in your country that is losing congregation by massive amounts 
because they don't preach the true word. That's the problem with what's going on there. Uh, it's kind of an anything-goes, new-age, humanistic, religious movement. So this is the Brits Anglican Church and its leader, who has a bit of a bone to pick with Donald Trump because he is a globalist. Not Donald, not, not Trump, but this Anglican Church uh, archbishop, the one who leads the blasted thing. Now, um, But he doesn't really know why, because when he was do- conducting himself in this particular interview, he couldn't answer, or he didn't even try to answer any questions. I said, well, why don't you like Trump? Or why are you saying that the evangelicals in America, the Christians in America, backed him and put him into position, and it was a horrible thing, and yet you won't tell us why? So I just found it fascinating. It's almost like he's one of the uh, the British sheep. That's like a, an American sheep, but with an accent, right? So um, the Archbishop Justin Welby apparently is getting his talking prompts from the Pope, his points. From the vote. At least when he's not hiding behind 40-foot papal walls while bemoaning Trump's effort to do the same. You see, the Pope, and, and our Marxist Pope, has a very proprietary angst when it comes to fortified walls and keeping certain people and things out, and certain things in, too. Not that the world has grown completely bored with Pope Francis and his ongoing tiff with Trump. These two just do not get along, but they pretend to, which is nice. Uh, and remember now, folks, uh, this is the last pope, according to a lot of people who are experts on this stuff. They believe that biblical and Catholic prophecies point to Pope Francis, and I've been through this story so many times, it would numb you. So Francis, it seems, has fashioned himself as the omni-heretical last pope of an increasingly estranged Catholic church, even remember to the point of denying Christ. He did deny Christ, ladies and gentlemen. He said, eh, Christ is not always the way. You can get there. You don't have to believe in him. That's what he said. He said it, folks. So much as the Catholic Church's original founder, Peter the Rock, denied Christ, but that was it. He denied him three times, and after that, he was done denying. Uh, Pope Francis has been doing it with a bump stock, folks. It's like, you know, like a machine gun. So the time and play, however, this time... It's the false Church of England, uh, the uh, the Anglican Church. Now, I'm sure that there are true believers that go to that church, and I'm sure that they are saved and so forth. But it's not because of the leader of the false church, folks. Uh, it's, it's in spite of, because, you know, the, this church, when I tell you just a little bit of the story behind it, uh, did you know that the archbishop is appointed by the queen? It's actually selected by the prime minister, who generally whittles it down to two candidates, and then the queen or the king of the time selects who will be the archbishop controlling English church. So you see, it's a political appointment, just as it is within the Catholic Church. God doesn't get a vote. God doesn't get a vote. It's just uh, whoever thinks that uh, the facilitation of whatever agenda they are trying to forward will best be represented by who, and they put that who in there, and uh, then he globally runs along with it. So the whole point of why this guy doesn't like Trump is largely because he is an anti-globalist, and there's a lot of globalists, even though there seems to be more anti-globalists in Great Britain than globalists. By the way, they have been hit by a bad spate of scarlet fever uh, probably, although there's, oh, well, we don't know where this is coming from. It's probably coming from the refugees. If you go, like, I, they've, they've taken in over a half a million people since 06, and you, we're talking about a population of around 60 million people, okay? It's not like 
the 315 million or 20 million now that live in America, it's just 55 million. I think Canada has about 40 million, okay, as I remember. So uh, it's not that many people to be taking in this huge gluts of uh, Islamic refugeedom, right? So, um, but anyway, now remember, uh, the whole point of the church is coming to an, its existence is because of King Henry, and you've all heard the soliloquies about Henry and his desire for women and uh, new queens, basically. So he wanted a, uh, an annulment from Catherine of Aragon, and she was Spanish, and she was like the, uh, there was a liaisonship between the king of Spain and the pope, who I believe may have been of Spanish blood, and then Catherine of Aragon, who was the king's sister. And, you know, it was one of these arranged marriages where two potentates uh, gear up and, and one marries uh, the other's, you know, sibling or whatever, or daughter or son or whatever. And that creates a political liaisonship or a, a feudal ally, as they call them. So, uh, so Henry wanted to wed his mistress partially because Catherine of Aragon apparently did not produce him a kingly offspring. So Anne Boleyn just happened to be handy. And uh, and now she was one of the ladies-in-waiting for Catherine of Aragon, okay? Uh, and she was the daughter of one of their, you know, ministers there in England. He was a very uh, powerful guy. And, all he, I mean, he maintained his power. And part of that was because of his daughter Anne, who had, you know... Um, become the fancy of King Henry's eye. And this was in his younger days. But anyway, so he desired her with a most great and fervent urgency. And uh, this is, uh, you know, blue bloods, blue, you know, blue, whatever. But King Henry, out of frustration with the Pope, who would never grant his annulment, and that was Pope Clement, eventually gave up. He completely swore off the Catholic Church because he was pissed, okay? And uh, then he stubbornly, uh, the, the Catholic Church would not give him an annulment no matter what. And so he pretty much ran the Catholic Church out of England. And that was risky at the time, but he did it. And he replaced it with his own custom-made religion, partially modeled on Martin Luther, the German you know, Reformation guy, um, who posted a note on the door of some, you know, uh, some cathedral somewhere, and people started reading it. Uh, and it is a fascinating story. But anyway, no, I'm not going to go into Luther. I'm not going there. Not this time. So uh, the Anglican Church was, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, the first religious institution ever established out of a royal need for a quick divorce. And from there, where else could the Anglican Church go but downward? Except maybe to Vegas, right, for a divorce. But, of course, that was much, much later. So... Uh, and I do have a picture that would make a really good action figure for Archbishop of Canterbury in this particular story. But in that vein and in the modern day, you've got this guy. His name is Justin Welby. He is no kin, ladies and gentlemen, to Marcus Welby, M.D., okay? Just saying that. He uh, he is the Archbishop of Canterbury. That makes him the leader. Uh, and he cannot believe that you voted for Donald Trump, okay? You are one piece of work because he doesn't agree with you. You see this mindset that these idiots have, this constant globalist, ravenous mindset that, hey, if you don't believe like me, you must be an idiot, okay? And yet, and yet, everything that they do is a picture of failure, failure, miserable failure, and death, and just despotism and destruction. I mean, this is what the globalists are all about. There is a satanic movement, ladies and gentlemen. It is an anti-Christ movement geared for the tearing down 
not the building up until we get to the point of the centralized one world government, and that's where it, you know, it gets really interesting. So, in the absurdity of all absurdities, yes, indeed, this archbishop is appointed by the queen as if her royal blood gives her any right to decide who your religious leader is, right? Just like the bishops of the Catholic Church. Anyway, it's not a democracy in these places. So what is his claim to fame as the official head of England's church? We're talking about Justin Welby. But it seems he has a long lineage, folks, with the bloodlines of English nobility. I looked back. He's got dukes and hazards and you know, all, all of these um, uh, nobility in his woodpile going all the way back. So he is of the English bloodlines, and pretty much everybody who has a title there, of course, is. And you know about you know about the bloodlines, and, and that's the what we would call the inimical Illuminati underpinnings. And that that will once you figure out that they are of the Illuminati, and then you start looking at the paganism, the occultism, the wickedism, and the fact that they hate Trump so much they have tried to lay hex after hex on him. Okay, then you can kind of understand this anti-Trump bent. And the Illuminati, folks, does not like Trump, period. So, um, according to the Associated Press, Welby stated of Trump and his ascendance as U.S. president, largely at the hands of American Christians, that he really genuinely can't comprehend why fundamentalists have provided such a strong base for Trump. He says, there are two things going through my mind. Do I say what I think, if you can get it out, or do I say what I should say, and what do you think you should say? And we don't know to this day exactly how he feels or thinks because he is a big pussy. Anyway, he says, and I'm going to say what I think. He said on the show, referring to the support Trump has garnered from the so-called evangelical Christians, no, I don't understand it. I really genuinely do not understand where that is coming from. Well, he would say that because he doesn't have a clue, ladies and gentlemen, of why and what is happening on this planet. You see, they view everything from their own optics, okay? And it's the, it's the optics of who they refer to themselves as the elite. And we're just little drones out here, and we just don't know what the hell we... We don't know how to think. We don't know how to act. We don't know anything. They are the ones who were uh, just supremely blessed with all sorts of knowledge and commonality and common sense and all of these various learning things. They are the smart ones, okay? But you're going to love this next phase of the story. So, uh, and by the way, the even, this is funny, okay? He talks about uh, the so-called, so-called evangelical Christians. Now, that's uh, from the AP article, and I was like, so-called? So-called is sort of a, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's sort of a trip, it's, it's, it's 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 a uh, it's a usage in the English language to suggest uh, irony, okay, or I don't know, uh, facetiveness. I mean, the so-called evangelical meaning you probably aren't really Christians, but that's the AP, and these are a bunch of godless idiots in the media uh, who worship at globalism's altar, along with uh, their chief deity Barack Obama. You know, they worshiped the hell out of him, even when he bugged their entire building because he didn't trust them. Or he was worried about who was reporting what to the AP in his own office. There were several things going on within that, James Rosen and all that. So uh, so he thinks that um, uh, that uh, somebody else holds the true keys to Christian evangelicism. Uh, and, folks, the... 
the Anglican Church could not be called anything close to evangelicalism. Let me just say, it's a laugher. So Welby, who as of yet hasn't offered a tittle of supporting rhetoric against Trump, he didn't say anything. He didn't say, well, they shouldn't do that because, or I can't understand why they would elevate Trump to his position because. He left the entire because out, and he just said, no, they're just, you know, I don't know why they would do that. I don't know. And, but he never supports his rhetoric. He never supports his argument throughout this entire uh, story by the AP. He will be, get this, he noted that he's met with worse people than the president of the U.S. What is that saying? Uh, oh, okay, so he's really bad, but I have met with some worse people. So you see, it's just a typical um, elite talk. I mean, just, just you know, uh, devil code, I guess you could say. So he thinks the president's bad, but then we ask why in this article, and he says, I spent years and years involved in conflict stuff, quote-unquote. Ah, it's the conflict stuff. Conflict stuff? Uh, wow, conflict stuff. I don't think I've ever used those two words together. You know, all of the conflict stuff. Yeah, it's just stuffs. You know, just stuffs. It's all conflict stuffs. I mean, I don't, folks, you can tell this guy's an ability because he obviously doesn't have a brain. Anyway, he says conflict stuff around the world where I meet people's stuff, who had killed many, many other people's stuff, he told that TV. So uh, my question was, okay, so have you met with Hillary, the great slayer of Libya, and, of course, the drone murder king of the world, former President Barack Obama, who has as many drone kills almost as King Henry himself, I should say. So Welby said part of his job, by the way, is to meet with people he disagrees with and to testify with the love of Christ to them and to seek to draw them in a different way way okay so i okay so he's like the uh, the counter argument sort of like a community organizer i guess so uh, anyway it's just he, he's basically pointing to what we would call a global angle of attack right but he did say that it, it would uh well be said it'd be unlikely i'd do more than shake hands with him so we can assume that he's not going to be having any sort of baphomet style freemasons exercises with the anti-globalist president right and that's good but you might have noted uh, that at no point within any of this entire story did Welby elucidate why he was besmirching Trump. He didn't say anything, but he did hold a Masonic service at the Canterbury Cathedral. And remember, Baphomet is who is supposedly the Freemasons are sort of worshiping, right? And by the way, the thing about Baphomet, i got to write a story on this, but Baphomet is, uh, is sort of the, uh, he is like the transgender demigod you know he's got the goat head he's got the wings really nasty looking creature but he's got boobs like a woman but he also has male attributes he looks like a male but he's got boobs so he's like the transgender iteration makes me wonder exactly what part he is playing he's on he's on baphomet is the one that the satanists always have the statue up with his two fingers you know pointing up in the air uh i don't know what those are supposed to be i meant to look it up anyway uh, so, so Wilby was making false implications, but what, what was surprising to me uh, was what he said next in another interview. Uh, Wilby was a college graduate from a school in which his granduncle was its master. Okay, there's your connection. He then went on to become possessed, folks, possessed by what he referred to as a presence during a prayer, don't know to whom, with 
a friend in 1975, which he interpreted as being a holy occupation, of which he became terribly ashamed. So when he was what we would call saved, in his manner, when he was saved, he became terribly ashamed of the fact that he was saved. Folks, he wasn't saved then. You're not ashamed when the Holy Spirit indwells you. That's not the typical reaction. I can tell you this. And I can point out hundreds of other Christians that would tell you that this is just not the normal reaction if you were reborn in Christ, I can just say. So, I mean, just incredible stuff. Now, uh, by the way, after he became occupied, quote-unquote, Welby then went to work within the very lucrative oil industry, then the banking industry, naturally, then divinity school, <coughs> until eventually finding his way into the upper echelons of the Anglican Church, being confirmed almost as a joke, as he puts it, as the new Archbishop of Canterbury. Sounds like a true Damien sort of circuitous route, doesn't it? Wow. So uh, that was my two cents worth from this particular story. And uh, with that, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's take a quick break, and I've got a bunch of other stories to roll through, and then we are going to be right back, so hang in there with us. We're going to be moving, well, still got some politics left to do, quite a bit, actually, uh, because we're going to talk about this uh, inspector general who was threatened by the Clintons. Uh, we're going to take a look at what uh, Trump had to say after the North Koreans launched again yesterday, and then we've got to, we're going to listen to what uh, one, of, one of my favorites, Ambassador Bolton had to say, I'm sorry, Bolton had to say about the North Korean launch and where we're going to go from here. And it doesn't look good. Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy what Trump said about it. Uh, and then we're going to also see uh, the, uh, let me see here, yeah, what's going on in Siberia, some of the worst cold ever. Let you listen to a little bit of a Trump documentary called "The Art of the Insult," and then we're going to go into we're going to try to get some Gog Magog, a little bit of Russia, Iran, how that end times uh, war footing, which we talked about a little bit about last week, where that's all uh, taking place and coming up. So uh, bear with us, please, and we're going to be right back. Hello, welcome to Obama Golf. My name is Trina. How can I help you? Yes, hi. I received an email from Golfsmith stating that my Pro V1 golf ball order had been canceled and I should go to your exchange to reorder it. So I tried the website, but it doesn't seem to be working, so I'm calling the 800 number. Yes, I'm sorry about the website. It should be fixed by the end of 2014, but I can help you. Thanks. I ordered some Pro V1 golf balls. Sir, Pro V1s do not meet our minimum standards. I will be happy to provide you with Hop Flight or Callaway Blue. But I've played Pro V1 for years. The government has determined that Pro V1s are no longer acceptable, so we have instructed Titleists to stop making them. Top flights are better, sir. I am sure you will love them. But I like the Pro V1. Wait, why are top flights better? That is all spelled out in the 2,700-page Affordable Golf Ball Act passed by Congress. Well, how much are these top flights? It depends, sir. Do you want our bronze, silver, gold, or platinum package? Uh, what's the difference? 12, 24, 36, or 48 balls. Well, the silver package may be okay. How much is it? It depends, sir. What is your monthly income? What does that have to do with anything? I need that to determine your government golf ball subsidy. Then I can determine how much your out-of-pocket cost will be. But if your income is below the poverty level, you might qualify for a subsidy. In that case, I can refer you to our ball aid department. Ball aid? Yes. Golf balls are a right. Everyone has a right to golf balls. 
So if you can't afford them, then the government will supply them free of charge. Who said they were a right? Congress passed it. The president signed it, and the Supreme Court found it constitutional. Whoa, whoa, wait. I don't remember seeing anything in the Constitution regarding golf balls as a right. There's no explicit mention of golf balls in the Constitution, but President Obama is a former constitutional scholar, and he believes it would have been included if the Constitution had not been drafted by a bunch of slave-owning white men. The Democrats in the Congress and the Supreme Court agree with the president that golf balls are now a right guaranteed by the Constitution. I don't believe this. It's the law of the land, sir. Now we anticipated most people would go for the silver package. So what is your monthly income, sir? Forget it. I'll just forego the balls this year. In that case, sir, I will still need your monthly income. Why? To determine what your non-participation costs would be. What? Wait, you can't charge me for not buying golf balls. It's the law of the land, sir. <laughs> Approved by the Supreme Court. It's forty-nine fifty, or 1% of your monthly income. Oh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll pay the forty-nine fifty. Sir, it is the forty-nine fifty, or 1% of your monthly income, whichever is greater. Are you kidding me? What a ripoff. Actually, sir, it's a good deal. Next year, it will be 2%. Uh, look, I'm going to call my congressman to find out what's going on here. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to pay it. Sorry to hear that, sir. That's why I had the NSA track this call and obtain the make and model of the cell phone you're using. Why does the NSA need to know what kind? a cell phone I'm using. So they can get your GPS coordinates, sir. The hell is that? That would be the IRS, sir. Thanks for calling Obama Golf. Have a nice day. And God bless the land of the free and the home of the brave. Have questions about business insurance? Simply log on to www.carolinaindustrial.com. We make it our business to get to know yours. Running a business is a full-time job. So is protecting it. Auto Owners Insurance protects thousands of businesses just like yours. We'll assess your needs and eliminate your insurance problems so you can devote more time to what you do best, managing your business. See us for no-problem business protection through Auto Owners Insurance. Auto Owners, no-problem people. Call Carolina Industrial and Matthews, insuring businesses statewide for over 21 years. 704-845-2456. 704-845-2456. Auto owners, no problem people. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. So therefore, there must be some form of a connection, 
and therefore there must be that these people who have been victims and they're really ticked, they're starting to come out, and only because that they see that the power structure, and they, these people will kill, the power structure is crumbling. They are they see that that old guard is fading away, and so therefore they can come out and talk about it. That is the only rational explanation that I can see for this just tsunami of of exposition happening uh, in every facet of the uh, of the liberal stronghold. It's the entire left flank of the globalist movement. Isn't it fascinating? Um, so, and then you see, like this bishop I was just speaking of, and you know, tearing into Trump, trying to besmirch him. That's what they're all doing. If you remember how worried they were at Davos and in the Bilderberg meetings that uh, that Trump was may you know may be elected into his office, and then you had the story of uh, little Venezuela on the Potomac where, um, and many of you, now I'm sure you've heard of this at this point, but I had to write it up because uh, this judge found in favor of the Trump administration. Now, remember what happened was you had this departing leftist leader from the radical CFBP, which is a consumer consumer finance bureau of protection or fraud or something, which... uh, The leader of that organization resigned, but before departing, chose his own successor, which you cannot do. That is unconstitutional. This is not Venezuela, okay? He did it to bypass Trump and set up some sort of what he thought, I'm sure, was a crisis. Uh, And this reminded me, again, of the Banana Republic stylings of the Obama administration. And there is example... After example, after example of this, it's like the ghost of Christmas past, always rising up to remind us of the horrors of the last eight years under a zero-growth, transformative social justice agenda. And this is from a leftward crony capitalist Obama regime that tried to foist all of the money and the power to the very top corporations, those that would eventually merge into certain uh, governmental agencies, more or less. And that's really what the, the it's, it's, it's hyper-crony capitalism uh, sort of would look like a totalitarian, in a totalitarian uh, socialist system. It would look like exactly what Obama was doing, where all the power is, is sort of, uh, shared at the very top between the corporations and the government itself, and they have this symbiotic sort of uh, uh, tapeworm type of relationship, okay? Uh, you know, just sucking off of one another and sucking, uh, you know, sucking us dry to feed one another. I mean, that's that's essentially what the new world order looks like. They're taking power and wealth away from the people in the middle and putting it at the very top and creating more and more want people, poverty people, uh, so that they will need more and more government services. This is always how it's done. So uh, now this odd, in this case, succession, uh, it sounded what happened to Venezuela, and you see where they are. And it's, that is another totalitarian socialist system. Uh, Hugo Chavez died, but when he left the nation... Uh, with his authoritarian second-in-command, which was Nicolas Maduro, Maduro 
<coughs> he's now got them eating out of garbage cans. I'm sure you've seen these stories, but they are incredible. Folks are eating in a socialist system. They're eating out of garbage cans. It's like the uber paleo diet. Uh, just communist angst is what they're eating or trying to uh, sort of nourish themselves with. It's not going to work. And these people are fit to be tied. So the country, folks, has lost 30% of its weight. That means that everybody in there has lost 30% of it. I mean, I'm sure it's a lean and mean country now because nobody's got any fat left on them because they're starving. They don't even have any garbage hardly because the people are recycling their garbage into uh, food, right? So, I mean, if the starvation doesn't get them, the inflation will. They've got like 880% inflation. It's incredible uh, how quickly this you know, socialist system that, that, that you know, started out nationalizing these companies, uh, especially oil companies. Remember, they nationalized all these and pulled them in. Even These were private companies that have made vast investments into mining the energy fields down there and giving the government a massive take, but that wasn't enough. Uh, so they cut off the goose. They laid the golden egg. They just cut the head off and said, here, we'll take whatever eggs in there, and, well, there ain't no more being produced now. This is exactly, it's, it's, it's a repetitive cycle. We've seen it over and over and over again. And uh, this is one of the cycles that Obama created, which is why you see this, this, this most wealthy gap, uh, you know, the gap between the wealthy and the poor. Man, that thing skyrocketed while Obama was in power. Because remember, he was putting like $85 billion of our money, uh, not his money, putting that into the stock market, creating a vast void on the Treasury's balance sheet. And uh, you know, when you, whenever that happens, you have a void that has to be filled, which is why you know, we keep talking about the Fed and how they're going to handle this. Well, they've got this, you know, this black hole of money sitting there that's not, really not there. It's a, it's a negative balance, and they don't know how to get rid of it. Okay? The, only way, the only way you can get rid of it is to replace it with real money. Uh, basically, and where are you going to get that? Well, that's the thing. You're not going to get it the way we're going now. You're going to have to grow. If we get out of it, it's going to have to. We're going to have to grow our way out of it, and uh, to get it back down to some semblance of uh, sanity. And that's what Trump is trying to do. Okay, so in this particular case, though, the guy's name uh, was uh, the Commissar. In this case. We'll just call him one, is Richard Cordray, and he is an anti-constitutional revisionist, uh, just like all of them, okay? Leandra English was the new head that he appointed. That was his deputy, and uh, they totally ignored Trump's assignment of Mick Mulvaney from South Carolina uh, to the position. So, uh, in essence, the departing agency head held more innate authority than the commander-in-chief uh, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically the way it goes with this story. So it was just incredible. So the Trump the executive branch trumped Cordray's selection. And uh, this chick that he put in his place, she's a matronly little progressive with very little, absolutely no common sense. She challenged the U.S. government in court, sued the Trump administration to let her work uh, in their government. I mean, this is just an absurd story. Everybody was, what? You know? So, but today or yesterday, a federal court judge knocked the lawsuit down and granted <coughs> the Trump administration yet another victory in court while sending this little rotund valley girl on her way. 
and uh, they tried to use a temporary restraining order against Mulvaney. So, anyway, yeah, that went Trump's way. We won that one, and I'm sure that embarrassed the hell out of them, but, you know, I mean, what the heck? So, meanwhile, President Trump is, uh, did you know that he is vetoing all of these judges that the World Trade Organization is trying to install in their appellate court? What he's doing is he's, he's, you know, doing exactly what they have been doing to him, in essence, don't think that the WTO and all the leftists that work for the UN and, and that particular trade organization, don't think that they are not in a cahoots with the Democrat Party. We've seen that the Democrat Party under Hillary Clinton was in cahoots with the Russians. Uh, the Sa- she was in cahoots with everybody except the American people, folks. Uh, that's You talk about collusion. She was colluding with the world against the United States. That's what it shapes up. So these diplomats are searching now at the WTO, who has been raping us. Uh, They're searching for ways to prevent a global trade dispute resolution system from freezing. And this is because Trump is going after these globalists. He does not like the WTO. Uh, He is blocking appointments to the body that acts as the Supreme Court for global trade. So he's throwing a wrench in the works. The Director General Roberto Azveda attends a meeting had, had attended a meeting in, in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, and U.S. President Trump has vetoed the appointment of judges to fill vacancies on the seven-member appellate board of the World Trade Organization, which approves and you know provides final decisions on arguments between countries over trade. And they're they're always in the pocket of these despots, these minor nations, or these communist nations, or otherwise socialist nations who were, you know, basically just trying to get the wealth away from America and disperse it to their oligarchs, basically, uh, by paying our oligarchs, and they're going along right with it. You see, this is how it all works. So members are already having a conversation about what to do with this particular situation, okay? Um, Members, uh, let's see, according to the general, uh, director general, Robert Azevedo, they are floating ideas. They're discussing. We have to see how that involves. Now, they normally have about seven judges. They need three to sign off on every ruling, but two have left, and another goes in December, leaving only four, just one above the minimum, to deal with a growing backlog of trade disputes, the ones that you know they select against us routinely, because the whole deal there is, as I told you much earlier, to move wealth, trade, and make it very unfair for the U.S., um, while giving these second and third world countries uh, massive uh, accommodations, let's just say. So Trump is blocking that. And this reminded me what he had to say. I want you to listen. And then we're going to move on to some of these other stories, trying to get through all this. But listen to what Trump had to say. For any company to try to move a factory down. What, what, what is the consequence? So let's start with – you bring up carrier so a lot. Simple. If you well, were president – what would just an example. explain? Right, I understand yeah. that, but explain the consequence. Okay, here's the consequence. What would it be? So Carrier comes in, they announce they're moving to Mexico, they fire all their people in Indiana, and they say, hi, well, here we are, Mexico, you know, enjoy your plant, enjoy the rest of your life, and you hire people from Mexico, okay? Now they make their product and they put it into the United States, where we will have a very strong border, by the way, but they put it into the United States, and we don't charge them tax. There will be a tax to be paid. If they're going to fire all their people, move their plant to Mexico, build air conditioners, and think they're going to sell those air conditions to the United States, there's going to be a tax. What kind of tax are you thinking? It could be 25%, could be 35%, could be 15%. I haven't determined. And it could be different for different companies. We have been working on trying to stop this government because we don't know what we're doing. And not only Obama. They've been trying to stop this from before Obama. 
but they don't know. You know, they've done, they've tried low interest loans, they've tried zero interest loans. These companies, you know, some of these things money. aren't going to get through the World Trade Organization. There's a lot of these. matter. Then, then we're going to renegotiate, or we're going to pull out. These trade deals are a disaster, Chuck. The World Trade Organization is a disaster. You know, the concern Never on some disaster. of this is that it would rattle the world economy. Look no, what Brexit did to the world economy. Investors got rattled. What did it do? What did it do? Now the stock like market's higher now than it was when it happened. And by the way, I'm the only one of all of these people at the higher level of the world, of po- the wonderful world of politics. I'm the only one that said Brexit's going to happen. Remember, I was asked a question. I said, yeah, I think they're going to prove it. I think they want independence. I don't think they want people pouring into their country. And You're I was not worried about it. You think a fractured Europe is good for America? No, but we're spending a lot of money. Yeah, yeah that was... Uh I call him Chuck E. Cheese. I probably shouldn't call him that. Chuck, I think it's Chuck Ross. I don't ever listen to, ladies and gentlemen, I don't listen to Meet the Press anymore. It's a joke. So uh, it's not even worth listening to. But anyway, that was uh, Trump's. Now, this is before he got elected, and you see what's been happening. Uh, Carrier didn't move their operations. They moved a little bit, but not much. I mean, they, in other words, they stayed in the U.S. And, um, God, there's so much here. But... Um, to, to go into, but anyway, uh, let me move down here, and oh, yeah, there was this story that was fascinating. Now, uh, this is uh, the, the ele- there was an elementary school teacher group in Ontario, Canada, who were, who were rooting out additional genders with this confusing LGGBDTTTIQQAAP sensitivity, yeah, I kid you not, sensitivity training. These are elementary school teachers, okay? So they're teaching this to, to just like 10-year-olds, right? Uh, 9-year-olds, 8-year-olds uh, about all of these uh, just just perverted uh, sexuality BS. Uh, all of these freaking gender. So now I'm going to walk you through the list, okay? Now here we go, because everybody's wondering. So lesbian, everybody knows what the L stands for, right? Then you have G, the LG, then the LGG, uh, the gay is, the G is gay, and then G, uh, the, the the third G, or the second G in this case, the LGG, is genderqueer. Uh, now, many of you don't know what that is, so um, genderqueer uh, denotes relating to a person who does not subscribe subscribed to conventional gender distinction. I believe they call conventional cisgender. Okay, that's cisgender. <sighs> Rolling my eyes. But it identifies with neither, both, or a combination of male and female genders. Right? Makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I still don't know to this day what exactly gender queer means. Uh, bisexual, the next one is B. That stands for bisexual. The next one is D, demisexual. So now this is a new one again. Uh, the ever-expanding queer dictionary to figure it out. A demisexual is a person who does not experience sexual attraction unless they form a strong emotional connection with someone. This used to be known as monogamous love, but now we throw the word sexual on it to make it attractive to the kids. Got it? That's, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a story from PJ Media. Uh, so there, there's the demisexual. Demisexual. Which that's kind of more normal than anything. But then you have uh, the transgender. That's what the T stands for. Well, one of the T's. There's like what three T's. Transgender. You know what that is. Boys turned into girls and vice versa. Then you have transsexual. Um, 
that's the ones that get surgery to turn into a boy or girl. Uh, and then you've got a two-spirit, right? That's sort of a Indian-type thing, um, smoke pot, you can get that. Uh, sort of a Native American sexual peyote, I don't know. Um, we still don't really know. Uh, it's something like a third gender uh, that's not yet been discovered by science and is only found in the Native American community. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, Skinwalker. You've heard of Skinwalkers, right? Ooh, chilling. Uh, the next one, I, stands for intersex. Now, this is a, we call them hemaphrodites, but uh, they're born with both the sex organs for male and female. So, you know, whatever. Uh, the next one is queer, Q. So um, that is an umbrella term designed to describe all people who aren't normal. So anybody can be a queer if they're not normal. Q is questioning, and that's for somebody that really doesn't know. They haven't figured out the L G G B T T T T Q A P P I whatever. Asexual is the A, and that's people who have no interest in sex. Uh, you know, like a typical married couple. A uh, is for allies. Our people with virtues signal constantly on Twitter about supporting their LGBTQ WTF friends and family. Uh, WTF stands for what the, you know. These people aren't gay, queer, or even questioning. They're just shielding themselves from the gay stopo squads, right? Pansexual is uh, another confusing way to say bisexual. There really is no difference. It's just mythology for pan. Polyamorous. Those are the leftover hippies, according to this story, uh, or maybe hardcore Mormons. Either way, there are people who like to have more than one partner, sometimes at the same time. So there you go. There is all that nonsense. But at least you now know, at least to some degree. I'm sure you're going to forget most of that, and I don't blame you because I did too. Then you have the night nurse. Now, many of you may have read about this. We're talking about the racism. This is a black nurse. Actually, she was featured in... Parlor magazine. It's a black magazine, uh, but uh, she actually came out and stated uh, in, on Twitter, every white one. This is a nurse, and apparently at a child center. Get this: every white woman raises a detriment to society when they raise a son. Yeah, go with the irony here. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Someone with the highest propensity to be a terrorist. Uh, she's talking about white boys a racist, a rapist, a killer, and a domestic violence all-star. Historically, every son you had should be sacrificed to the wolves, bitch. Wow. That's from a nurse who works for the University of Indiana. And then when they were contacted, oh, no, 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 she doesn't work with children. And we're investigating. We're investigating. We pretty much agree with her. But we're investigating. So uh, now Indiana University, by the way, is one of the uh, top hospitals in the United States, and they're ranked number one in Indiana. But I'm not sure why now, where that ranking is coming from. Is because of, you know, they hire uh, infanticidal maniac nurses who possess genocidal tendencies. I mean, uh, it's amazing. You know, they don't think they can be racist, right? So this lady is under investigation. Her, her name is Taisha Baker. Uh, and she supposedly worked for Raleigh's Children's Health, although they denied that she worked there. And so they are investigating. I am not sure what that means, okay, but they are, right? And then uh, 
you had, uh, let's see, by the way, rapper Eminem threw an unhinged hissy fit after Trump ignored him. He says, I don't know why he's not paying attention to me. He's not saying anything. He's not attacking me. He says, I feel like President Trump's not paying attention to me. Well, why would he? You are irrelevant. So, no, I'm more relevant than you are. So, uh, anyway, then uh, you've got uh, out there, you've got CNN pushing a plan, folks, to ban the term fake news, okay? They're going to ban the term fake news. They're pushing it. And that's because they, uh, I think they originally started it, but they're the ones that are being hung with it. And uh, now this is from Paul Watson over at InfoWars. CNN is now pushing an effort to ban the term fake news after the slogan became synonymous with CNN itself, thanks to President Trump. Now, remember, they were the ones who came out with the fake news thing. I remember writing a story on that. They were the ones who tried to use the fake news to point to people like us. Okay? And uh, it, it has backfired on them in a very big way. But in a CNN opinion piece written by Hasin Darakshan and Claire Wardle, who are affiliated with the Globalist Council of Europe. Oh, that's a good name, isn't it? The authors argue that the term fake news has become meaningless and lost its power. No, it has not. We know exactly what it means now, because politicians like Donald Trump have hijacked it as a way to undermine the media establishment. I forget who it was that first used it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they they have been, uh, you know, just hung with uh, this fake news Um uh, label and it's stuck so the left it, it, it just as with all of these things it turns around and it backfires on them isn't it incredible uh and by the way if, if you lose this we'll be back in an hour okay if you listen to blog talk you could lose this you may not i don't know uh but uh you can pick us up in about an hour uh, either at iTunes, at Stitcher, or, of course, at Blog Talk Radio. Yes, if you lose us. If you don't, well, good on you. So, um, and this was, uh, when it, it was on the November the 27th, Trump said we should have a contest as to which of the networks, plus CNN and not including Fox, is the most dishonest, corrupt, and or distorted in its political coverage of your favorite president. <laughs> they are all bad winner to receive the fake news trophy. I love that, okay? So, uh, yeah, I just think... This stuff is so hilarious. Now, uh, by the way, the failing Brit prime minister, and that's funny because, you know, she was elected by the conservatives, more or less, and uh, she's got a globalist attitude. She's like a Republican. She's like a rhino over there, kind of. I don't know how serious she is about, you know, uh, following Brexit the way she's supposed to. There's a lot of problems uh, going on here, but... She is slamming Trump because he retweeted just a few clips of Muslim mayhem, all right? So Donald Trump retweeted three anti-Muslim videos, and they call it posted by far-right groups. But, folks, far-right, as far as the mainstream media goes, is anybody who believes in individual rights in the Constitution. Uh, that's pretty much it. Anyone believe, who believes who doesn't believe in a feudal system, anybody who doesn't believe in globalism or anybody who believes in nationalism, all of those criteria set up for what the mainstream media refers to as far right, quote-unquote. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> he was, uh, according to May, he was wrong, President Trump was, to share an anti-Muslim video posted by a far right UK group. Furious uh, Minister 
plenipotentiaries insisted Mr. Trump, that's an MP, uh, insisted Mr. Trump was not welcome here. Following the Twitter post, but number 10 said his invite to come in Britain on a state visit still stands. Why do you care? What business is it of yours, Great Britain uh, leaders, to say or, or not say anything uh, that Trump does or doesn't post? It's, it's almost as if they feel, these uh, these globalist leaders of Europe feel as if they have some form of authority over other people. And you see, that's because of the world that they live in. They think they have uh, authority writ large over everybody else simply because they are members of the globalist deep state club. That's the problem, uh, really. And they're just like, you know, they're, they're, they're more or less, they're all causative leftists, okay? And so they believe that uh, if you disagree with them, then you have no business uh, talking or putting forth your viewpoint. And, of course, you are of the far right. If you disagree with them, you're far right, no matter where you fall. So, uh, yeah, they got really ticked at uh, President Trump, and you know what? It's just really none of their business. But uh, the the first video showed a Muslim migrant beating up a Dutch boy on crutches. Oh, they do it. Uh, yeah, the Dutch media this afternoon said the video was fake news. The video featured born and raised Dutch men, and no reports that have, have detailed the suspect's religion right. I'm sure we all know what's going on there. He also, Trump did, retweeted a video of a Muslim man destroying a statue of Virgin Mary. And another where Miss Franson, one of these MPs, wrote, Islamic mob pushes a teenage boy off of roof and beats him to death. The providence of the footage is unknown, therefore it must not be true, I guess. So this row cast fresh doubt on the prospects for Mr. Trump's state visit yeah, it's really what – see, they're protecting Islam, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if he had uh, – you know, if this had been something about Christians or, you know, whoever, whatever religion, doing something mean to somebody else, uh, they would have, oh, that's so cool. Wow, thank you so much, President. You know, uh, but no, he, he does this with a Muslim. Oh, my God, you can't do that. And see, this is Soros. This is uh, – this is how the globalists roll. You cannot besmirch anything with Islam. This is why we still have the U.S. government uh, teaching the, uh, the the four or the five pillars of Islam. Uh, and U.S. public schools, they are. Oh, they are. And I've got YouTube video of these parents. They're really ticked off about it, and I don't blame them. So anyway, the uh, the Brits are really in a snit over this. And for all you Brits listening, well, you know what they can go do uh, as far as your fearless leaders who have tried to run your nation into the ground. You're a very fine nation, I might add. Um, so I'll tell you. Um, and, and, you know, it's a lot like I, I view these idiots over in Great these, these establishment political class types over in Great Britain. There's not a dime's worth of difference between them and the establishment parties in our um, – I, I look at them all as being just useful idiots for the oligarchs truly in charge of the very top, the ones who were in charge of their movement, their New Age Antichrist movement. This is precisely what they are all about. And that is the flip side of the coin to the globalist movement, folks. Oh, yes. So a uh, little bit of that. And then you've got uh, you've got new Clinton Lynch tarmac dots, ladies and gentlemen. Let's bring Clinton back in here, because we're going to talk about her just a little bit. I think I had another story in, in here on her. Um, yeah, I did, actually. There may have been a few here. Um, let's 
see. I'm just scrolling through anything that I may have missed that I wanted to hit. There's a lot of stuff in here. But uh, now this cover-up is about to, uh, from Zero Hedge, back on um, June the 29th of 2016, Obama's Attorney General, uh, Loretta Lynch, uh, tried to convince us that the the messaging, okay, between um, or the meeting that the, that Clinton and the Attorney General at the time, the Red Lynch, had uh, at the Phoenix Airport, a private meeting lasting 30 minutes, was all about their children and golf and you know fried chicken and all of that, right? That's why they met secretly on a term, but they were caught doing it, and that's where all of the well, just rhetoric assumed because they, nobody's done anything about it. Um, it was not under any circumstances related to the statement that former FBI Director James Comey made just six days later, clearing Hillary Clinton of any alleged crime. So they have the meeting a week later. We're done. Uh, nothing here. Move along. Nothing to see. So not surprisingly, following the, the 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 clips that we saw of them getting you know being on a plane together. Um, is is coming out that there are documents in existence that show a DOJ cover-up of a host of various things related to all of this. So um, now Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch has expressed his frustration in trying to get these FOIA documents in response back, uh, stating it's out of control and saying it's stunning the FBI found these Clinton, they did find the tarmac records only after they were caught hiding them uh, by another lawsuit that came out. Okay, so we don't have those, but they all of a sudden they surfaced in a separate lawsuit. Oh, that's not, no, that's not, no, that's not our document. No, that has nothing to do with it, you know. Uh, so uh, the document surfaced over here for something entirely different, but they were cogent to whatever case that was. And so all of a sudden now Judicial Watch picked up on that and said, well, no, here are the documents that you say that you don't have. Well, you do have them. You presented them in this court case. So let's have them. So, uh, and, and it is. The FBI is completely out of control. And uh, they did find these Clinton tarmac records only after uh, Judicial Watch caught them hiding, hiding in another lawsuit. And they're continuing to press for release, and it will be fascinating. I think they'll eventually get to it, especially if it's in a, another lawsuit. And, uh, my goodness, sorry. Um, getting a little tired here. Uh, and then, then we had the thing about, uh, by the way, George Soros is teaming up the porn industry to regulate the Internet. And, by the way, that is what net neutrality is all about. It's merely about regulating the Internet. It has nothing to do with net neutrality in and of itself. It has to do with controlling the Internet. Okay. So I keep saying that, and it, as Rush put it about the package delivery, that was a perfect allegory to it, where, you know, do you want package delivery neutrality? Uh, you're never going to get your package on time if that's what you want, and it will be it will be the same with the internet, and that's why the Trump administration is reversing this. But they're using it as a you know sort of a tool to bang people over the head. No, 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 you don't want that neutrality, you know. So anyway, uh, Garrison Keeler was fired. Now this I just find this so just it's kind of like Charlie Rose. I was like, what? And uh, yeah, Garrison Keeler, not a not a good looking guy, right? 
new. He looks like a like a sort of a pug, a bulldog in human form, sort of. His face is kind of scrunched up. Uh, but uh, yeah, he had he, this guy. Mr. Prairie Home Companion, I guess a very lonely Prairie Home Companion, he had inappropriate behavior with an individual who worked with him. And uh, last month, uh, NPR was notified of the allegations which related to Mr. Keeler's conduct. I was responsible for the production of a Prairie Home Companion. Uh, and somebody on here is using, okay, NPR President John McTaggart immediately informed the NPR board chair, and a special board committee was appointed to provide oversight, and the result was that uh, they got rid of his Prairie Home Companion and changed the name of the show to APM's weekly music and variety program hosted by Chris Thiel. So when all of that ended, as it turns out, it was apparently... Uh, you know, we weren't told of this by NPR, not NPR, but NPR, who is the one that runs the, the, the entire show over there. NPR is full of a bunch of perverts. You know, the uh, the elite who is telling us how horrible Trump is. Uh, I tell you, folks, man, <laughs> they're coming. They're, they're, they, the scales are riding. Uh, yeah, isn't that fast? I just thought, yeah. So, uh, anyway, so there's... There, there's not a whole lot of story there regarding, not yet, but uh, I think we're going to see some before it's over with. And also, by the way, CW producer was fired after 19 uh, staffers reported his m- misconduct. Four women have accused celebrity chef Johnny Iuzuni of some form of sexual harassment. And uh, in the meantime, uh, on the climate change front, uh, we've got Moody's who are warning cities to address climate risk or face downgrade and i believe if moody's is going to go down this road folks climate change has nothing to do with the books of a company nothing absolutely zero zilch nada so i think moody's is going to be having a problem with this because they're they're dealing in the unreality they have been taken over by the leftist democrats just like the nfl has and that's going to ruin them that's the way it always rolls uh meanwhile You've got health officials back in Great Britain warning that 40,000 could die as a result of three-week-long Arctic cold blast brought about, I guess, by climate change. Okay, yeah, global warming was a result of this vast, massive three-week-long Arctic cold plunge. In addition to Siberia, they were hit with a minus 58 Arctic plunge, ladies and gentlemen. So, oh, we're having a warm winter here in the U.S., well... It's always uh, a, a the equal and opposite reaction on the other side of the globe. Typically, whenever we're having warm, somebody else is having cold, and vice versa is the way it's always going. So, uh, and oh, by the way, Obama and Hillary are doing a bit of shadowing Trump. But Obama is going to meet with all the world leaders that Trump just met with, and you know we're setting up a problem here. I don't uh, is Obama having trouble with his not being president? Did he not get enough for the last eight years? Uh, you remember all the stories where he was, you know, just going through the motions, and all of a sudden now, I tell you, you watch that one. You're going to have to watch Obama. This is not boding well. So anyway, now then, we had the nuclear missile launch, and I want you to hear some commentary on this. First, we're going to listen to President Trump. Then we're going to uh, listen to Bolton 
and then we're going to move into this uh, this ex Inspector General story uh, and uh, the fascinating stuff, folks. So let's first listen to this clip, just very briefly, from Trump on what he had to say about the North Korean missile launch. Check it out. Thank you very much. Uh, as you probably have heard, and some of you have reported, a missile was launched a little while ago from North Korea. I will only tell you that we will take care of it. We have General Mattis in the room with us, and uh, we've had a long discussion on it. It is a situation that we will handle. With that being said, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi did not show up for our meeting today. I'm not really that surprised. We have a lot of differences. They're weak on crime. They're weak on illegal immigration. They want the illegal folks to come pouring into our border, and a lot of problems are being caused, although we've stopped it to a large extent, as much as you can without the wall, which we're going to get. They, before this meeting and before this missile launch, they've been weak on military in terms of spending. They're very hard to get the military. They wanted for a lot of other things, but the military is always secondary to them. The military, to me, number one, won't be here without our powerful military. And we're building it up stronger, bigger, better than ever before. And General Mattis can testify to that. And the other thing, they want tax increases, and we want major tax decreases. So they decided not to show up. Uh, they've been all talk, and they've been no action. And now it's even worse. Uh, now it's not even talk. So they're not showing up for the meeting. I will say this, uh, in light of the missile launch, probably they'll be here fairly quickly, or at least discussions will start taking place fairly quickly. I think that uh, we're in a very good position in terms of the meeting we just had over at the Capitol with the Republican senators. It was outstanding. I think we have tremendous support. I was just informed by Mitch that we uh, had a unanimous vote from the Republican side, at least. We had a unanimous vote uh, on the tax bill, and it goes now the next step, and I think we're going to get it passed. I think it's going to pass, and it's going to be very popular. It's going to have lots of adjustments before that. But the end result would be a very, very massive, the largest in the history of our country, tax cut, and lots of good things are going to happen, including the bringing back to our country of, it probably will end up being over $4 trillion money offshore that's stagnant, that companies are just not able to bring it back, so I think it's going to be a number over $4 trillion. Corporate will be able to compete now against the world. If you look at China, if you look at so many other countries, if you look at many of the countries, China's at 15%. Uh, they're lower than us. We're getting it down to a level that is either going to be lower or right in the ballpark so that we can compete much better with our companies, our great, great companies. And that means jobs and it means lots of other things. I'm very happy to see that the consumer confidence level is just about the highest it's ever been. In fact, I don't want to make any mistakes in front of the press because you'll get me on it, but to the best of my knowledge, it's the highest it's ever been. Consumer confidence has been setting records. They have confidence in the people leading their country. And I will say that I think it's going to go better and better, and I do believe that this vote on taxes, which are really tax cuts and
Okay, so there's a big, nice slice of what he had to say about uh, not only the Democrats not showing up at a meeting uh, that they were supposed to go to because they got mad. Um, I tell you, man, these guys are so unprofessional. Uh, and then, uh, then you have what? Now this is on this North Korean launch. He said, "We're just we're going to fix it. We're going to we're going to take care of that." Uh, then you have uh, what uh, Ambassador Michael Bolton had to say, and um, Bolton is always fascinating in what uh, you know how he sees these things happening. So um, let's see. Hang on. Let me let me fix this volume for you. Okay. Let me back that up a little bit. Okay. Here we go. Yesterday that we noticed. Uh, one was the timing and this two and a half months or so of silence. And then the other information that came almost simultaneously during the day with an ICBM, and that was that they could be farther along and developing nukes than we had been previously told. Well, you know, I wouldn't try to psychoanalyze North Korea when it comes to the pace or the timing of their tests. Sometimes it has symbolic value. Sometimes it's probably due to scientific or technological reasons. The, the real question is what they accomplish when they do test, and that's why yesterday's launch is so significant, because if the early analysis is correct and they can reach any target in the continental United States, we are at risk. Now, whether they can uh, mount a thermonuclear weapon on top of it, send it into the into space, bring it back down and detonate it uh, on target are a series of other questions. But there is no doubt that they are getting very close to that capability. And therefore, from the U.S. policy perspective, uh, you have to ask when we're going to start seriously considering a military option, because we're going to come to a binary choice here. Absent some dramatic uh, action by China, which I don't see at the moment, uh, we either have to decide that we're going to use military force to destroy this nuclear weapons program, or we better be prepared to live with North Korea uh, with a capability to drop nuclear weapons on any American city uh, that the leadership chooses. That's going to be the choice in very short order. All right. Uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson is meeting today, but ahead of his meeting with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, he said, or I should say Bahraini Crown Prince, uh, he said that we have a long list of additional potential sanctions, some of which involve additional financial institutions. Forget it. Forget it? Forget it. There is no time for this to list? have impact. Look. If, if the State Department is still focused on sanctions, then I will guarantee you, I'll bet the ranch right now, North Korea will have deliverable nuclear weapons. So the president the was right when he tweeted or said, remember that, when he said about Secretary Tillerson, remember he was chiding him, he was saying, oh yeah, your diplomacy, blah, blah, blah. Was he right? Yes, I wouldn't have done it in public, but that's right. The one diplomatic play that's left here is with China. Presumably the president delivered that message, which should be something like, uh, look, Xi Jinping, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. China has a unique capability to bring that regime in North Korea down, to reunite the two Koreas, to put in a new regime, to get rid of the nuclear weapons. Uh, but, but there isn't any time to talk to North Korea about it because they will use additional time to cross the nuclear finish line. And so that's why I say, do you want a North Korea that has that capability that can be a one-stop shopping place
for thermonuclear weapons, ballistic technology for Iran, for ISIS, for any would-be nuclear state around the world? Or will we take the obviously undesirable but potentially necessary step of using military force? We have blinked at this reality for 25 years. We've spent 25 years trying to talk or pressure the North Koreans into giving up. It has failed, and it will wow. fail now, uh, this close to their achieving uh, what they've been after all those years. You said that so forcefully. You got all of our attention. Uh, not a 26th year. we got to stop at the 25th, you said. Uh, that's what I hear. Somebody else may have given them the technology to do that ICBM. That's from Judge Napolitano last hour. Real quickly, your thought. Well, they've been buying technology from Russia, from China. Uh, they use, it's, they're using basic Soviet-era Scud missile technology. They've cooperated with Iran for many, many years. Uh, there are a lot of uh, delinquents out there that have helped the North Koreans get to this point, no doubt about it. Ambassador Bolton, thank you very much for your time and your expertise. Thank you, Harry. There we go. So, uh, you know, this isn't looking very good. Uh, but you know the left, uh, they don't. Uh, they don't. Uh, let's see. They don't. Uh, they don't want us to protect America. They don't want us to uh, uh, defend ourselves. I guess they want us to get hit by a missile. I don't know. But you see, that's the unreality. Once again, you see all this insanity that is flowing out of the globalist and flowing out of the left wing. There, you know, it's it's it, it's it never ceases to amaze me how extraordinarily obtuse these idiots are. When you have a country that has promised to wipe us off of the map at the first chance that they get, they're going to have, uh, they say, a nuclear weapon by the end of this month, by the first of the year, by sometime in December, that they can affix to an ICBM, and then it's only just a matter of time. Uh, before they decide to launch, and this is the monster, this is the uh, the Oriental Frankenstein monster that China has helped to create. Okay, and you know China is, is it's almost as if this monster is getting out of control from even China. And you saw what happened with the soldier that tried to get out of North Korea. They shot him five times as he uh, you know ran his vehicle across the border, tried to get out of North Korea. He was desperate. He was starving. He said they were eating you know turds basically the soldiers were there uh so uh yeah i mean it's getting really bad there so the sanctions are working but the the question is does it make them even more desperate to launch an attack and what do they think is going to happen after you know you have to remember the united states perfected military weaponry what about 75 years ago roughly 75 years it's almost a century ago so what North Korea is not necessarily considering is how much far ahead we have gotten since that time. They can't even get one, hardly. I mean, they've got a nuke, but they can't affix it to a ballistic missile yet. We had that technology 50 years ago. So they're probably 75. And remember, they're getting this technology from other countries. They're not just you know perfecting it themselves the way we did. They're getting it from other guys. So... They really, they have a tiger by the tail, and it's just incredible how it's so important to them uh, to live once again in this unreality that they believe they can attack us and we're not going to hit them back. We're going to wipe them off the map if they hit us. 
And that makes you wonder, well, Trump, I mean, China has been in control of this with North Korea and has been playing us all along. And every expert specifically, uh, there are quite a few, including the Ambassador Bolton, but uh, you do have Gordon F. Chang, who routinely appears on Lou Dobbs' uh, Fox Business show. And he will tell you Trump is playing us. Like a mar- they, they are playing us, and they're using North Korea as their marionette to achieve ends. And you can see whenever there's a question about trade or whatever that pops up, um, they always pull their North Korea card out and the fact that, hey, you know, you better let us, you know, you better watch out because we can help control this, these, uh, these crazy people over here for you, when in fact they are the ones who are enabling North Korea and have been for all of this time. So and Trump knows this. I mean, they all, the experts know it. The leftists, like in the Obama regime, they didn't have a clue and they didn't care. That was not their deal. That was not their focus of, uh, you know, um, of uh, agenda, I guess. And meanwhile, by the way, I just saw this story pop up. Uh, Trump has told the British Prime Minister to focus on terrorism and not him. It's none of her damn business what he decides to tweet. Has nothing to do with them. Maybe it's a member of their politics over there. Uh, but, you know, once again, you see them jumping to the defensivism. It is a phenomenon that is happening worldwide. It is Soros sponsored. Okay, yes, indeed. Soros is one of the main impetuses behind the protection of Islam and the demonization of anybody that questions Islam. Okay? And you go and look. I mean, some of the old Shriners hats that have the, you know, the Islam insignia on them. I mean, they, 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 they have the, the, the Shriners have a Koran. But I mean, these are Freemasons, and uh, that, that's another story. I mean, but there is a Baphomet connection once again to the Freemasons that I find fascinating, and and I'm going to be rooting it out uh, in the future as as we move along. So now, uh, in another story. And this was a major one, and this was about the ex-inspector general uh, who was threatened. Okay, when he came, when he was the one who surfaced the story about the Clinton email so many years ago, uh, he was being threatened by Clinton and her regime, her administration. Uh, Clapper did not want him. You, you'll hear this, but Clapper the National Security Director, did not want this to get out. He said, oh, you're going to roil the political waters. And that's the Inspector General was created to roil the political waters, ladies and gentlemen. So we've just seen this repeating pattern over and over. We know that Washington, the inner beltway, is corrupt and decrepit and rotten to the core. And we are trying to get to some point where we can maybe start trying to clean it out. And uh, then this story surfaces, and it just it just supports and upholds the entire storyline that we've been prefacing here for so many years. Everything that we have said has turned out to be true. It's fascinating. So uh, I want you to hear, you may have not have heard it. This came out uh, yesterday or the day before, but when I, this is, when I saw it last night, first time I'd heard this story. You've got to hear this. It just feeds into the narrative, folks. So here you go. Check it out. Marginalized and even threatened by his superior simply because he tried to raise the alarm about classified information that resided on Hillary Clinton's private email server. Our Catherine Herridge has that exclusive tonight. It was personal blowback to me, to my family, 
to uh, my office. Few people know more about the Clinton emails and the fallout than Charles McCullough, the former internal watchdog for the U.S. intelligence community. What should the American public know about those 22 top secret Clinton emails? I've heard people say this is overblown. I've heard people say uh, this is much ado about nothing. Had the information been released, there would have been harm to national security. So putting lives at risk. Absolutely. Sources and methods, lives, operations. Speaking exclusively to Fox, McCullough says he went to Director of National Intelligence James Clapper about a year before the presidential election. The intelligence agencies had just found their classified information in the Clinton emails. He read through these affidavits very thoroughly, and he said this is extremely reckless. And he mentioned something about uh, the campaign would have, uh, will have heartburn about that or something. Shortly after, McCullough says his team was marginalized. You felt you were on your own in this. I was totally on my own, and uh, I was told by senior officials to keep the director out of it. You drafted this letter in January 2016. Sure did. In the letter, McCullough told Congress that emails beyond top secret passed through the former Secretary of State's unsecured personal server. All of a sudden, I became uh, a shill uh, of the right. I was told by members of Congress, be careful, you're losing your credibility, there are people out to get you. By February 2016, Clinton campaign emails released via WikiLeaks suggest McCullough was a target. I think there was certainly a coordinated strategy. Uh, I, I, in fact, I... I not only think it, I, I think it uh, very, very much so. Based on evidence? Yes. Even though the FBI email investigation was far from complete, the Clinton campaign nailed down its talking point. Was there an effort to deliberately mislead the public about the classified emails? Absolutely. There was an effort, on the, certainly on the part of the campaign, to mislead people into thinking that there was nothing to see here. But frankly, the thing that disappointed me the most was uh, the president saying, there's classified and then there's classified. A lot of people in the intel community spend uh, a lot of time keeping secrets secret. And to sort of inject that sense of confusion into people, I, I don't think was, was altogether responsible. As Election Day approached, McCullough says the threats went further, singling him out and another senior government email investigator. You were given a warning? I was told that we would be the first two to be fired uh, with her administration, that uh, that was definitely going to happen. Is that how it's supposed to be? No, I was, in this context, a whistleblower. I was explaining to Congress, I was doing exactly what they had expected me to do, and all of a sudden I was the enemy. More than 2,100 classified emails passed through Clinton's personal server, and to this day, no one is accountable. If you had done this, what would have happened to you? I'd be sitting in Leavenworth right now. Fox News a spokesman for the Clinton campaign, the office of a senior Senate Democrat, as well as the former director of national intelligence for comment, but there was no immediate response. McCullough recently retired after 26 years of government service. He told Fox News today that he is grateful now to tell his story, Tucker. And that is the story. Catherine Harris, thank you You're very right. much for that. Richard Goodstein advised Hillary Clinton's 2008 and 2006. Okay, we're not going to listen to that idiot, Richard Goodstein, I promise you. I'm, I'm sure you're... Very thankful for that. I cannot stand that guy. Anyway, um, so uh, here we are. Now, you just heard. So here is another deal with Hillary Clinton, yet another one. And then you've got this uh, 
the silliness of Obama shadowing Trump. He is doing it. He's going to meet with the world leaders. Former President Barack Obama will meet with the Chinese President Xi Jinping and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi in an upcoming trip abroad. He'll visit. China didn't like him anyway. Remember, they wouldn't even open the gantry for him when he went there the last time. Uh, warning about his security issues. Gee, how's that going to work? But Obama was in China and India before making a stop in Paris, according to a spokesperson for the former president. He will speak at various summits in the three countries he visits. The Times of India last week reported that Obama would be in India's capital city of New Delhi on December the 1st for the Obama. Oh, we have a new foundation, Obama Foundation. I'm sure that one's going to be very similar to Clinton's. President Trump recently concluded his own five-nation tour, and now Obama must match him because he has to copy everything that President Trump does, but only in the reverse, like a true Satanist. So uh, there's your – that's uh, just a, another bit of irony. Uh, he, he just can't, uh, you know, um, just can't uh, function without uh, playing at president now. Uh, NATO sees a growing Russia-China challenge, and that is so interesting. He see they're, they're seeing a higher risk of war. Okay, and this was at the Reuters news. They're growing uh, military strength in China and a resurgent Russia will pose growing challenges to the transatlantic alliance in coming years, and NATO's move to bolster its capabilities could trigger a new uh, Cold War-style arms race, a NATO report stated. The report, completed once every four years, identifies 20 global trends that are likely to affect the alliance through 2035, ranging from artificial intelligence and accelerating technology development, climate change, and growing inequality. <laughs> Lord, China, climate change again. Okay, so General Dennis Mercier, Native Supreme Allied Commander Transformation, told Reuters the report showed a high risk of a major interstate war than in the 2013 report. We see a considerable increase in the risk of a major interstate conflict, and this is at the Berlin Security Conference. This command will release a companion report, maps out what NATO should do to respond to these trends in the spring, with both documents to inform the 2019 NATO political guidance. Having a global awareness is more necessary than ever before. We have to be ready for any kind of scenario, Mercier stated, noting that globalization meant NATO had to weigh factors outside its region. Well, I would think so. Uh, but including military expansion by China and India, easy access to technology, and the global nature of cyberspace would make it easier for terrorist networks to expand. <clears throat> you remember uh, what Germany had to say. They thought the whole damn thing is going to fall apart in just a matter of a few years, and we've covered that as well. So NATO thinks that it's not looking too good. We've got a potentially hazardous asteroid to fly by the Earth, now, this is going to be the closest past in over 40 years. A large flying object uh, expected in December has caught NASA's attention. Uh, sorry about that. But it isn't Santa Claus's sleigh. Oh, how cute from CBS. Instead, an asteroid called 3200 Phaeton is projected to come close enough to Earth that it's been classified as a potentially hazardous uh, Wormwood-style media, as you note in, in the uh, in the scripture, wouldn't that be not so interesting? Would be good. 
by the International Astronomical Union's Minor Planet Center. It has a diameter of about three miles, making it the third largest potentially hazard asteroid to pass by Earth. NASA expects Phaeton to be the closest to Earth on the December the 16th, when it's projected to be more than 6.4 million miles away. That's about 27 times the average distance between the Earth and the Moon, which is 238,855 miles. It would be the closest. This asteroid has been to Earth since December the 16th of 1974, when it's just over 5 million miles away. It's not expected to be this close to Earth again until 2093. While the potentially hazardous classification may sound alarming, the CBS News space consultant said there's really no reason to worry about the asteroid hitting the Earth. He said anything that's bigger than about 500 feet across and its orbit carries it within about 4.6 mile, million miles of Earth at any point in its orbit is classified as potentially hazardous, meaning over millennia. Okay, so that's something to bear in mind. So, but <clears throat> we've seen a lot of these happening where, you know, you have to start beginning to wonder which one will be, you know, the one that uh, many people see in the scripture as wormwood. And uh, meanwhile, you've got a cataclysmic super eruption. Remember that volcano in Bali is going off. And they, the scientists are believing that it's closer than uh, we ever thought possible, at least in the modern day, uh, for a super eruption, which a super eruption, folks, is not good. That would be cataclysmic, meaning nuclear winter, winter as they say. Okay. So, um, uh, hang on a second. Let me fix that volume. There we go. Uh, now, what they said at Bristol University after analyzing a database of geological records dated 100,000 years, they discovered the average time between so-called volcanic super eruptions is much less than previously understood. Volcanoes and bleeds, such as asteroids, are geohazards powerful enough to be destructive on a global scale. One recent assessment described them as capable of returning humanity to a pre-civilization state. The largest explosive eruptions are termed super eruptions. We have one here, super volcano in the U.S., folks. They're talking about that one, too. They produce an excess of 1,000 gigatons of erupted mass, enough to blanket an entire continent with volcanic ash and change global weather and patterns for decades. So um, researchers at Bristol School of Earth Sciences and Mathematics Estimate how often the largest explosive eruptions happen. Their analysis indicates the average time is only slightly longer than the age of our civilization, which is about 12,000 years ago during the agricultural revolution. Professor Jonathan Rougier said the previous estimate made in 04 was that super eruptions occur only about every 45 to 714,000 years, comfortably longer than our civilization, but in our paper just published, we re-estimate this range as 5.2 to 48,000 years, with a best-guess value of 17,000 years. Now, according to geological records, the two most recent super eruptions were between 20 and 30,000 years ago. So that means we could be getting close. When you take 17,000 minus 20, that's 3,000 years. That's quite a ways off yet, possibly. But the point is, we never know when these things. They can only average them out. And an average could easily encompass a 5,000-year, you know, um, uh, ratio of uh, of uh, uh, imp 
probability, you know, the, the, the what they call the error factor, basically, right? So, uh, so yeah, that, that's a you know one that we always look at. We're always worried about that. In addition to that, now there have been 698 earthquakes in California just within the past 30 days. That's not good. So, the but finally, <clears throat> what I did want to uh, bring to your attention. Uh, is the deep state behind the deep state, the CFR, that's the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission in Bilderberg. These are the ones that we always talk about. But the thing to remember with regard to the New World Order is that the most powerful cliques in these elitist groups, the Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral and others, have one objective, to bring about the surrender of the sovereignty and independence of the United States of America. A second clique of international members in the CFR comprises the Wall Street international bankers, and their key agents, which would be the U.S. mainstream media, the Democrat Party, uh, you know, the globalist movement, among many others. Uh, primarily, they want the world banking monopoly from whatever power ends up in the control of global government, right? They would probably prefer that this all be an all-powerful United Nations organization, but they are also prepared to deal with and for a one-world government controlled by whomever, a Soviet communist, maybe a beast that just suddenly rises up out of the sea, uh, if U.S. sovereignty is ever surrendered. Now, this was from uh, Rear Admiral Chester Ward, and I've talked about him before, but this is another one of the things that he had. And he says the CFR would be nauseous at uh, Trump stating, okay, that um, he wants to make America great again. They would find that very offensive very offensive. So um, let me see. There was one other. Where did that go that I was wanting to see? Did I lose it? Maybe not. No, here it is. And this was, um, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this deep state story. It is a very long story from uh, New American, the deep state behind the deep state. And uh, it is fascinating, but we don't have enough time. You can come to CR and read it. It's by Alex Newman. He is one of the great authorities uh, on this this very thing, the science of understanding the deep state, the globalist, the antichrist movement, as I like to call it, all of that. He is one of the premier understanders of all of this, and he has uh, written about it for many, many years. I would urge you to get a conservative focus and read this, the deep state behind the deep state, to gain a better understanding of exactly what's going on. But the other thing was this Bible prophecy – because we keep seeing Russia, Iran, and allies, and that was a an alignment that we never saw uh, possible or we we ever saw before as far as that goes. Okay, we, we've not seen that particular lineup. And uh, now what Ezekiel 38, 39, and see, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of recounting this in conjunction with this, this Russia-Iran alignment that has only come forth really heavily in the last few years. It was always maybe there to a certain degree. I'd have to go back and look. But now we can see it's becoming a more and more powerful alignment, especially with uh, Syria and some of the other things going on in the Mideast. Okay, and Iran is gaining power massively, partly because of all the money that Obama gave. Remember those pallets of cash and their nuclear program and the nuclear deal that the Republicans, uh, the establishment political class, Republicans were largely responsible for in, conjunct in conjunction with Obama. Now, 
In Ezekiel 38 and 39, as we see this alignment come forth, God warned in the Bible that Iran, which was Persia, and Russia, Magog, and a coalition of allies, which include Turkey, Libya, and Sudan, will go to war and will invade Israel. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Bible warns this is coming a war between Iran, Persia, and Israel will take place sometime after Israel has been regathered into her land. And you see, they say that it's the same generation. I keep going, you know, I keep uh, doing various stories on this because I'm seeing this convergence. And uh, we've talked about it a number of times. But as we note, the convergence is getting more and more powerful. So the only time in history that Persia, Iran, has ever gone to war against Israel was to help Israel throw off the yoke of the Byzantine Empire. And that was at 614 A.D., and I believe that may have been Cyrus. This war will be unlike any other war that's coming in history. The war will unleash a series of irreversible events which will change the world forever. Uh, God has set aside two whole chapters in the Bible to warn mankind of this eventuality. And the folks, 80% of the prophecies that are in the Bible have come to pass already. Not much time left. We just... We don't know. It could be 100 years. It could be 1,000 years. But I really just don't think it's going to be 1,000. Who knows, ultimately? But <clears throat> the, the point is, this China-Russia-Iran convergence, this alliance, had never really been possible to this degree in the past. That's the interesting thing. And the globalism, we didn't understand how a one-world centralized government would come to eventual fruition before. But in the last decade, we have really started to see how not only uh, possible, but how probable it is, especially with the EU and some of these nations forming together, and then you watch at how they are treating their people. They are overrunning them with Islamic refugees, and then as we saw with Great Britain's leaders, going against their own people. Remember, Brexit was brought about by the refugees. The British people uh, voted against retaining their their uh, membership in the EU as a result of these forced uh, refugee immigrations into uh, Great Britain, which was upsetting the, the population balance and actually uh, corroding their culture severely, which is also happening all across the West. It was a planned invasion. I've said that so many times, conducted by the globalists with uh, none other than George W. Bush uh, providing the catalyst in the form of 9-11 and then his reaction to it. And I would also draw your attention to the Syria, Iraq, Sudan, Lebanon, Somalia, Libya, Libya Iran uh, takedown as prescribed by the globalists shortly after 9-11. They're planning to take down seven Mideast nations, as alluded to by General Wesley Clark. We've also run that many times on this show, which is like a smoking gun when you stop and look at the implications of all of that. So it says that this war will be unlike any other in history, and the Bible warns the U.S. will not defend Israel, although there is that one passage that states that uh, the bride will be taken up by a great, the, the two wings of a great eagle. And uh, a pastor just recently came out with that and will basically transport Israel to Petra, the the city of Petra, which is, you know, where that was the Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, that uh, canyon sort of city 
that's carved into the stone takes back thousands upon thousands of years. But that's where God tells them to go, Israelis. And they, in this bit of prophecy, I covered this a while back, it says that the, that the bride, that would mean Israel, was rescued by the wings of a great eagle. And that would certainly be us. I need to go find that for you, but unfortunately we're running out of time. So, the Bible warns that the U.S. would not defend Israel, according to this, and the, it, that Israel must stand along with God for when this coming war does finally start, the United States will be unwilling or unable to help Israel defend herself. Even though the Bible warns the invading armies will be ultimately destroyed by God, it will be a devastating war for both Israel and the whole world. Biblical scholars are divided as to whether this coming war is part of the prophetic battle. Now, Lee Daniel thinks it would be two wars, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I believe I, I more or less agree with him. There's going to be a, a preliminary war, and then there's going to be the big one, the, the final war, which is Armageddon. Remember, 80% of all of these prophecies in the Bible have come true. That's why they put. That's why the, the God put the prophecies within the Bible to let us know that all of this is real, as to watch these prophecies unfold. Uh, it's just fascinating the way the entire thing comes together. Believe me, I've, I've studied this so long and watched these convergences sort of line up very slowly over time. So, the uh, let's see. Um, yeah, the, it, the Armageddon will just proceed. Uh, the, this coming part of this battle will just proceed. Ar, that will just proceed Armageddon, in order to par, prepare a path for the Antichrist, a coming world leader, who will enforce a peace plan upon Israel, which will trigger the final prophetic seven-year period of time, which God has set aside for Israel and the world, which is sometimes called the apocalypse or the unveiling. Now, all mankind should be sitting on the edge of your seats with white knuckles watching this thing start. Nobody, you know, I've heard people say, oh, it's going to be wonderful. No, it's not going to be wonderful. Uh, it's going to be uh, painfully spooky, and we're not going to you know what the People are going to be just driven with fear because of, uh, you know, nuclear weapons, I mean, proliferating everywhere. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's going to be not so good. So... Um, People are told to examine themselves. So, you know, the key thing here is it is strongly believed, even by experts, that this thing will come in the generation that saw Israel gathered back together in the Holy Land. And there's been a lot of banter about how long a generation is, but if you go back to 1947, okay, and uh, you start doing the numbers, um, you know, 100 years from 1947 would be, 2047 so uh that's 100 years and remember the years of man are around around 80 let's just say okay so now we're looking at 20 you know 2027 if we say that it's 75 now we're looking at 2022 so it's according to how that is interpreted right but we're getting very very close and if you take that that 2027 number okay and you work backwards from the seven-year period of the tribulation, that would put all of this stuff swinging into action in 2020. How about that? Look at the timing of it. And uh, many people believe that 2018 will be the time when all of this stuff really starts to take shape. And uh, so just just sort of uh, imagine what I just stated and how this could all work out. We don't know. That's a, We don't know. And I am not telling you that's what's going to happen. Believe me. Because I have no 
freaking idea. But what I do know is every the, the convergence of all these things I've been watching for so long, the political implications, the various changing of positions, and it, re- it really is looking like that. So uh, the, the Bible does promise that believing Christians, faithful and sincere believers in Christ, uh, who are alive at that time and have endured in their faith in God's Word, are not appointed to this coming time of God's wrath that will be poured out upon the whole world. So, now the word of the Lord came upon to him, saying, The Son of Man, set your face against Gog, a powerful leader in the land of Magog, translated Scythia in Greek, and that's the area of modern-day Russia. Then we look at the next, the prince of Rosh, Mesek, and Tubal, and they are in and around Turkey, okay? And a prophecy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, uh, Behold, I am against you, O Gog a powerful human or dark angelic leader behind Russia, okay, that would be one of the princes. All of these areas uh, have princes and principalities uh, where all the spiritual wrangling about and warfare takes place. And we see how Turkey is suddenly becoming a major power uh, with its new Islamic dictator. And, oh, yeah, you see how that's shaping up? Recap Erdogan. I mean, a lot of people touch him and say, oh, he's ally and all this stuff. So it is. It's getting really spooky, folks. So it says here that I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws. And that's Israel's new gas fields, a mutual defense treaty or a U.N. effort. There's speculation here. And lead you out with all of your army horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. The Russian armies will march again. Persia, Iran, and Iran is listed first, meaning it will be the lead ally. And remember, they are the ones that are constantly wanting to kill Israel. And they even have the Saudis backing them at this point. Ethiopia, which that never happened before, Sudan and Kush, and Libya, Northern Africa are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, Germany, France, Eastern Europe, or Turkey, it could go either way. I don't think it's going to be Germany or France, but who knows? The house of Togomar, which is Armenia from the far north, and all his troops, many people are with you. NATO member Turkey will join that warring coalition. And our, you know, our relationship with Turkey is not looking good right now. It's certainly not looking good between Turkey and, and the EU. And once again, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this fragments and shapes up. So it says, prepare yourself and be ready. You're all... Uh, and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. Russia will act as a guard and supplier of weapons. Okay. After it says, here, after many days you will be visited, meaning this would happen far from Ezekiel's time. In the latter years, Russia, Iran, and Turkey will come into the land of these brought back from the sword Israel and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. So the war will take place after uh, Israel becomes a nation in 48, 47, 48. They, the children of Israel, were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land of Israel like a cloud, you and all your troops, and the many peoples with you. And the Bible runs that Russia, once again warns that Russia will also act as a guard, including weapons for Iran and their allies. Does that not sound so familiar to what we have seen with Syria, etc.? A guard protects, defends, blocks threats of international sanction, provides weapons, technology, intelligence, all of that stuff, hiding in the shadows in the background. And um, there's so much more to this, which we'll have to uh, 
really, we'll probably need to hit this next week because I believe it's time to head on out of here, folks. So, uh, so everybody, uh, we'll we'll pick that up. I'm going to be studying this in addition to other things as time permits in future shows. But you have to admit, this show was loaded up, crazy with stuff, like they always are, but even more so this time around. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. God bless you. Keep watching the skies. And, you know, this stuff is going to shape up. It's going to be fascinating uh, how everything uh, begins to shake out as we go forward. And nobody has the idea of the timeline. Absolutely nobody. So... That really is the fascinating part of all this. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I hope everybody has a great week. Thank you for joining us. Plan to be back here next week at 7. God bless you. And I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll be back next week in Washington, Wisconsin.